Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world of sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros, and let's jump right into this. So how are you doing today, Enrique? Happy Father's Day, of course. Uh, you know, what's going on? Oh, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Um, happy Father's Day to my dad, uh, and happy Father's Day to uh, all the good dads out there. We appreciate you guys. Um, but no, dude, uh, I'm good. I'm chilling. Um, spent some time uh, with my kids this weekend, obviously. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to, you know, always talk to my good buddy uh, about some sports. Um, and we got some, I think, I think we got some heat on this uh, show particularly. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm stoked to get into it. Yeah, 100%. I'm stoked to, except for the one part where we have to talk about the NBA finals, but <laughs> otherwise I'm good. It's, you know, it's a little painful, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll go through that at some point here. So uh, speaking of which on today's show, uh, we're going to go through our weekly questions uh, and the latest in the NFL, as always, uh, we're going to begin our breakdown of the Jets rivals over in the AFC East, starting with the Buffalo Bills. And then we'll wrap up our coverage on the 2022 NBA finals, unfortunately, uh, and on episode three of the fight show, we recap the fun fight night between Calvin Qatar and Josh Emmett. So uh, to start us off here, uh, we can go with those weekly questions. Our first one, who is the number one tight end in the AFC East? Our options, Dawson Knox of the Bills, CJ Uzama of the Jets, Mike Kosicki from the Dolphins, and then Johnny Smith of the Patriots. Uh, what are you thinking, Enrique? Um, I mean, I'm a little biased, right? Like, I think I kind of have to say uh, my boy, you know, Jonas but clearly. yeah, ex well, okay. So <laughs> you have to understand that I love Johnny Smith going to, um, I loved him actually going to the Patriots because like for a football move, it's a great move. Um, and I think he's a very talented player. I think they're all very talented players. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think that CJ uh, CJ is going to come alive this year, and especially and let me just say this: I'm almost a bigger believer in Tyler Conklin than I am CJ Uzama right now. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm not saying that to take away from CJ in, in any uh, sort of bit, but um, I've just been seeing like the chemistry that Zach and um, uh, Conklin have had, uh, you know, in OTAs and just throughout the off season. And so I'm very, very hopeful. Um, and I think CJ Uzama is just barely getting back onto the, uh, the practice field um, now. So, um, but I'm very excited to see them both. And yeah, I mean, obviously we, we definitely got the number one, as far as like two starting tight ends plus depth, we have the best tight end um, room in, in all of the AFC East, at least. I don't know yeah. about AFC, but I, I would, I would, I would put us, I'd put us up there. Yeah, I mean, can you name three tight ends better? You know, like collectively. Well, three, three tight ends or Jamie, three tight end rooms? Well, well, yeah, exactly. I guess kind of both, right? Because I got CJ Uzama, Jack Conklin, and then the rookie Jeremy Rucker. Right. Right? Jeremy Rucker, you know, second round or third round pick uh, coming out of the Ohio State. You know, um, legendary blocking tight end so i'm very excited to see how he shakes it up uh receiving wise but then there's really in my opinion 
how many teams are really stacked at tight end that way? Besides, because I, I feel like every like really good tight end is like the one good tight end. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much. I don't know much about the backup there in Baltimore to Mark Andrews, but like I know Mark Andrews is the guy, you know? Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with you there. Like there's a, a certain floor level of talent with all three of those guys that you guys have. So, I mean, I would say up there, I don't know. I'd have to look at rosters to like actually formulate a, a you know, ranking of them. But I would say they've got to be somewhere creeping into the top five uh, rooms for sure. Like the high end of that. Um, cause you do make a good point of like the, there's that top end talent. We talk about like Travis Kelsey over at the chiefs. And then you talk about, uh, Mark Andrews in Baltimore, um, you know, Darren Waller over at the Raiders, although they do have, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, forgetting his name. They have one guy behind him, um, that's been solid so far and is looking to have a better year this year. Um, so they're certainly in that conversation. The Raiders are, um, but yeah, I mean, there's not many teams that have, uh, three competitors uh to look pretty solid and then i mean you know for me obviously cj uh uzama wins that as well uh in terms of the weekly question here um i do think that he's the best in the afc east uh conklin certainly has a chance to even overtake him there potentially uh it does kind of suck that cj had that um you know delay of getting on the field and building that chemistry because of the injury that he suffered in the playoffs uh with the Bengals there but um, I do think that he was an underrated part of their passing attack uh, and overall offense uh, over there with the Bengals and will be sorely missed there, um, although they did have had uh, talent there. But, um, yeah, he's going to be really nice over there with the Jets, and I'm really, really excited. Uh, he was honestly one of my favorite free agency moves uh, of the entire offseason coming over to the Jets there. So, um, yeah, I'm right there with you. And then on Twitter, uh, the fans also agreed with us picking CJ Uzama. Uh, there was also a vote for Dawson Knox as well. Um, but yeah, I think we're all pretty much on the same page there. Uh, a lot of talent. Mike Kosecki has come on in the last couple of years, especially with Tua. Uh, he's like arguably their best early. I mean, I guess Tyreek Hill now. But like you could talk about Kosecki like last year being their best receiving threat, like bar none. Um, so Definitely a competitor there. Johnny Smith, uh, I would like to see more from him with the Patriots. Um, and then Dawson Knox obviously has a lot of chemistry over there with Josh Allen. Um, but yeah, I think CJ, uh, given what he was able to do last year, uh, for me, he's definitely that winner. My my, my biggest gripe with Johnny Smith, uh, and I'll make it real quick, is that um, I think he has like the physical football ability to be better than everybody else. But, like, Dawson Knox gets pushed up there because of Josh Allen. Um, And then Johnny Smith hasn't really played to that potential that he can play to. So, and then just like he can't block. So, um, yeah, I think CJ is just, like, the number one all-around tight end um, in that group. But I just have to keep repping my boy. I'm sorry. I'll let you. We'll get on to the next one now. No, no worries, bro. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about with those guys for sure. And uh, Johnny in particular is one of those ones where, like, I think he could be a top-of-the-league type of tight end, um, but we just haven't seen that production from him yet. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but with that, we can go ahead and move on to the second question. Uh, which Broncos wide receiver will lead the team in yards and, uh, and or touchdowns this upcoming year? Um, obviously, the options, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, K.J. Hamler, and Jerry Judy. Uh, over on Twitter – 
the poll ended tied between uh, Tim Patrick and Jerry Juni, both with 50% of the votes there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, well, what do you think, Enrique? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Tim Patrick, if I'm being honest with you, I want to say Jerry Judy, but um, I just haven't seen enough in him so far to this point. Um, and I mean, obviously, this is a very this is like almost a whole different Broncos offense now with Russell Wilson. And so I, I, I do feel bad not wanting to take my boy, especially, you know, he's a Bama boy. You know, uh, I got mad love for the Crimson Tide. Um, but I got to go with Tim Patrick just because I do think that he, he like fits into that Russell Wilson almost category of like, like, you remember when Jermaine Curse was over there in Seattle and like he was just tearing it the fuck up and Russell Wilson just really liked throwing to him because of the kind of receiver he was. I think Tim Patrick kind of fits into that kind of category of, you know, maybe guys that uh, just find a way to get open and, you know, get across his vision a little bit more than other guys can. Um, and, yeah, I just – I really have a good feeling about Tim Patrick this year. Um, I just really do think that he's going to come alive in this offense. And, um, I mean, I, I, I hope both of these guys kill it this year because I'd love to see Jerry Judy um, really start playing up to that potential because, I mean, he's routing dudes up and he has just – he's dripping with potential. Uh, I just got to see it a little bit. And I think Tim Patrick's been like one of those underdog stories um, kind of coming up into the NFL and, you know, really sticking on with the Broncos. And I think he's going to do really good with the, with the Broncos this year with Russell Wilson throwing in the ball. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, Tim Patrick is, uh, as a Broncos fan, one of my favorite players just in general in the entire league. Um, to see his come up story, undrafted free agent, obviously. Um, you know, rising up the ranks, cut from practice squads, cut from teams, um, and found a way to stick eventually here in Denver and has just gotten better and better and better and better. And now I think it kind of aligns, you know, he finally has uh, gotten his level of play to, I think, where he could even be a star in this league. And it, it's kind of aligned with uh, quarterback and Russell Wilson coming in. Um, and so I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. And I do think uh, I totally agree with the sentiment that like he's almost going to be a under the radar type of player like Jermaine Curse over in uh, uh, Seattle with Russell Wilson, uh, where he's one of those like third down guys, like you said, just knows how to get open when he needs to get open, has that situational awareness, uh, kind of like a Hunter Renfro, obviously different receiver in terms of their archetype, Hunter Renfro being more slot and uh, Tim Patrick being like six four and an outside wide receiver, um, but they both <laughs> right. have that that like sense for the game of like they know the situation. If it's third and seven, you know, get right above the sticks and make sure you get that first down. That's not a given with every player, um, and so those players can really thrive when a smart quarterback uh, is at the helm. You know, uh, you talk about like uh, you know like a Brandon Stokely for like Peyton Manning with the Colts. Shout out. Right. Like there's just those those receivers here and there, like a Wes Welker, obviously, again, different archetypes of the receiver. But there's those guys that just have that uh, awareness of the game uh, or like Julian Edelman, too, with Tom Brady, uh, where like they end up being the favorite targets, even if you have more talented wide receivers on paper around them. So then when you talk about like a Jerry Judy 
uh, or even like a Cortland Sutton. Um, those guys like Cortland Sutton, you have the jump ball ability. He's gotten better every year as well. Um, and is getting better as a route runner in general. Uh, but he's not necessarily one of those third down guys uh, with that situational awareness. And then Jerry Judy, a terrific route runner, has had some drop issues in the past, but has gotten better. Um, and I expect him to get better with a better quarterback as well. Um, and I expect him to take off this year. But again, just not known for being one of those players uh, where you can count on him to be in the right spot and open and with some separation on third down and when you really need those yards. And I think that's the type of guy that Tim Patrick is. And then on top of that, he also has passed, uh, which as does Cortland Sutton, uh, in more of a jump ball type of situation. But uh, Tim Patrick has experience catching those like deep balls that Russ likes so much that go over your head and you just got to run and track them and catch them. And not necessarily like a Cortland Sutton, like jump ball and just moss the guy above your head. You know what I mean? So I think right. that Tim Patrick is going to mesh well with Russ in that sense as well. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, like I said, I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. Is uh, I, I think that Tim Patrick kind of falls into a particular role that especially with Russell Wilson, he's uh, going to have a really good year this upcoming year. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and move on to our third and final question this week. Uh, which team in the NBA had the most underwhelming playoff performance. Uh, our options are between the Utah Jazz, the Phoenix Sun, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Philadelphia 76ers. What do you think, Enrique? Well, I think, if I'm being honest with you, I, I kind of feel like this is like a super obvious one. But you tell me, um, I think the Brooklyn Nets, right? It has to be, it has to be the Nets. That was my but, initial thought. Well, go ahead if if you want to elaborate. Well, no, I mean it's uh, in my opinion it's just fairly simple, right? They got swept. Yeah, in the first I mean, round. Right. It's like on paper. That was my initial thought, and I was like, "How do you beat getting swept?" Especially when this Brooklyn Nets team does have finals expectations. But to me, and maybe it's because I don't like the Suns too. But to me, I think it's almost the Suns because you look at them coming off of last year. They were in the finals. They could have won it. They didn't. They were expected to get back to the finals this year. They were the number one seed, uh, even better than the Warriors during the regular season. Uh, they were a team that was expected to cruise through the playoffs. And not only did they not cruise through the playoffs, they struggled against inferior opponents. Um, you talk about the Pelicans, uh, and then you talk about the Mavericks, who had a, a Cinderella season. But on paper, the Suns had a better roster. Like, that should have been a potential sweep series with the way that the Suns were playing during the regular season um, and the roster that they have and the fact that they have the chemistry there. And you talk about, like, Spencer Dinwiddie just coming in in the middle of the season with the Mavericks. That should have been a, a pretty open and shut series. And then they lose that in seven games and let the Mavericks go on to the conference finals. So you don't even make it to the third round as a team that was expected to uh, revisit the finals that you were in last year and probably win. So I think I had a hard time deciding because I think you're totally right. It's like how much more open and shut does it get than just getting swept in the first round as a team that uh, was expected to get in the finals. <clears throat> I do think I would add that the Celtics were the eventual East champs, you know, so I, that kind of lends to their case where the Suns got, um, 
eliminated by the Dallas Mavericks, who were on paper an inferior team. So I don't know. I had a hard time deciding between the two, but I think at, in the end I uh, went with the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I'll give you that. If I'm being honest, I yeah, I could see I could see why the Suns would be a like a I wouldn't really say like a hot take pick on the question, you know, but I feel like the more correct answer in a way, because you are right about the Celtics being the East champs. And um, I just think, well, if I'm being honest with you, just fuck Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. (laughs) Just fuck those guys. So, um, yeah, I, that's, that's it. That's the driving force behind it. There is no, Uh, I don't have like a real smart sports political answer about it. I just don't like either of them. So the fact that they got swept in the first round um, is classic to me. Now, I will say this. I say that very humbly because the Lakers did not even make the playoffs. Um, And I get it, blah, 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 blah. But all I'm saying is fucking fuck Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there. And there's no depth on that team either. Well, there's no I, depth at all. That's true. That's true. And I, I think that's an. I mean, even the last couple of years, that was kind of an underrated point of like, you know, on paper they had a lot of these like aging veterans that like looked good, like Blake Griffin uh, and Lamarcus Aldridge, and uh, you know, I mean, you can pull out a list of them, um, but there was never a lot of depth and they traded away a lot of the pieces like because interestingly in the beginning of the whole uh like when they had Kevin Durant and they were starting to put together that whole uh, team there like they had a decent ish core and they had some uh, young players that were developing um and then they traded them all away you talk about like Karis LeVert and a few other guys like um, uh, not necessarily amazing pieces, but they traded away their depth to get big name uh, guys that would help start. And they have coming clutch for them, but it eliminated a lot of their depth. And so they became a top heavy team. Um, and I think that's part of what led to their uh, demise this year. But then also Kevin Durant and uh, Kyrie Irving just did not show up the way that they needed to. Um, and I mean, you know, we say that even though both of them still had pretty dang good series, but when you're looking at that roster, basically the expectation of them is to drag them there. You know what I mean? Um, and granted, they weren't fully healthy with Ben Simmons, which, by the way, can I just say the whole thing, I took joy in because I didn't like the Nets, but I took even more joy because I'm a negative-ass person. I took even more joy in the fact that uh, not only did Ben Simmons not even play, but then they got swept in the first round and at least the Sixers got to the second round, even though Harden was not good. Um, and then I also had a uh, wallpaper on my phone for like a solid three weeks after that series of uh, Ben Simmons with like, it was like this art that somebody did on Twitter of Ben Simmons with like little Celtics, uh, you know, the little leaf symbol that they have. It's like yeah. a four leaf clover and it's just like raining four leaf clovers on Ben Simmons's head. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, as a salty 76ers fan, I took a lot of joy in that whole situation uh, with the Nets getting swept and being the only team to get swept in the entire playoffs, by the way, 
just to point that out. Um, just, but just, just saying, just saying. Just to point, I mean, that almost lends to your point even more, is they were the only team in the entire playoffs to get swept this year throughout all of the rounds. That, I mean, like, just in general, that's a crazy stat. Like, because, I don't know, like, I'm not saying that there should be a bunch of sweeps, but the only one and... usually have a few. Yeah, like, you know, and I could argue that maybe the Mavs could have, should have been swept. Right. Um, but that's neither here nor there. All I'm going to say is it was just KD and Kyrie. Those are the only, the only, the only team that got swept, and that makes the revenge even better. Yeah, man. I agree. Fuck the Nets. So I think that will close us out on our weekly questions here. Uh, and we do post these uh, throughout the week, every single week. Uh, check out our social media. It is at Mile High Flight Show for Instagram and TikTok, and then at MHFS Podcast on Twitter. Um, so yeah, check us out there, uh, answer the questions, uh, and then give us some comments down below as well, and we'll feature them on the show. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and move on to some of our NFL news here. Our first story, Terry McLaurin of the Washington Commanders, not attending mandatory minicamp. He is going to hold out for a new contract. Uh, good for him. What do you think, Enrique? Um, I, I, if I'm being honest with you, I wasn't a move that I expected from him just because he really is a um, – like, I just player. love Scary Terry Dog. Yeah, he's, like, such a stand-up dude. Like, uh, I know I'm not saying, like, holding out is not being stand-up at all. I guess that sounds very contradictory. But um, – I just didn't think he was uh, like the type of guy that would take a stance like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am glad that he's taking it. And I am glad that dude, like you are sacrificing some money. Um, like, cause I think it was either him or DK. Cause I think DK is also holding out. Um, not a hundred percent sure, but it was either him or DK. And I re- I was reading some of the money that one of them would lose. Um, I think day three is like $40,000, man. So, you know, you are sacrificing some money for sure, but, you know, it's in the long-term um, benefit of your career. You know, you hold out, you get the money that you deserve. And especially Scary Terry, he's been literally, besides Antonio Gibson, he's been like the star on the offense, um, you know, for the Washington Commanders. And so, yeah, they they got to pay him immediately, um, you know, unless they're going to A.J. Brown his ass, but... Yeah, I think I think the Titans are crazy for that, and I think the Titans were in a situation where they had to. I don't think the Commanders have to do that. Um, they're not paying a quarterback. Uh, well, I guess they're paying Carson Wentz, but mm. imagine trading uh, away Terry McLaurin because you're tied down by Carson Wentz's contract, dude. Just burn I would cry down. if I was a Commanders fan. I would just, I would literally just ask to be sold, like. <laughs> At that point, there is no 32 NFL teams. There's only 31 because... <laughs> Dude, I mean, that should happen anyways. Like, Dan Snyder needs to be axed, like, three years ago. I'm not disagreeing. Well, and especially because, like, there's, like, random scandals that come out and then, they, like, go away and then they come out and then they go away. Did, did you see he just yeah. uh, refused to testify at the... Like, because you know how there's that whole emails scandal that's been brought up to like the government and he refused to testify damn that's crazy can you just do that that's a thing like you can be the owner and just 
That's fucking crazy. The owner, or not the owner, the um, fucking, uh, oh my god, Roger Goodell, the what is commissioner. Title? Commissioner. I don't know. I could remember that word, but uh, I he is testifying. That I mean, that I think that tells you all you need to know when he refuses to testify. You know what I mean? I mean. Yeah, I mean it's um obviously it's probably at the advice of his lawyers, so I'll I'll say that at the very first. But it does look sketchy, dog. It does look sketchy. It's like, because you're going to get fucking grilled by the, uh, you know, the opposing lawyer and you're going to sound crazy and you're going to fuck up and admit that you're a crazy ass fool that's doing all kinds of scandalous things in the NFL world. And you fucked up the name of this beautiful franchise. Dude, um, I prefer should have just left it. Should have just left it the fucking football team. I kind of like at first I made fun of it, but then I kind of just like was like, yeah, okay, football team, like sure. Yeah, well, yeah, like, and I agree. I I thought it was ridiculous because they're like, we don't know what to call them. We're just gonna football call team. them what they are. Well, they, what they are. They're right. a football team from the fucking area of Washington. Like that is, they are the Washington football team. Fuck yeah, they are. Like I, yeah, pl- uh, yeah, they fucked it up so bad. But that black jersey, Ryan, that black jersey with that helmet. Indeed. I'm saying, dude, that black jersey with that helmet. The big old nice. W on the forehead. That's the, the big old dub. Like about it. The big old dub eating dubs. The big old dub. Now they just need Jameis as their QB. Stop. That's gonna happen now because you said that Jameis <laughs> is going to. Okay. Quick prediction. Jameis fucks it up with the Saints, takes a massive contract with the Commanders, and eats dubs all day with the Commanders. I mean, yeah. He wins the Super Bowl. He's the ultimate dub. Right, the ultimate dub. Eating the biggest dubs on the biggest stages. Okay, honestly, I don't even want to put that into the universe because I don't want Dan Snyder to win a Super Bowl. So, like, as long as the scenario involves, like, you trade – James Winston for Dan Snyder. No, because then the beautiful people of New Orleans got to deal with Dan Snyder. What if Dan I mean, Snyder just was forced to relinquish ownership? Yeah. And I mean, then the James that's thing. That's better. I'll take it. I guess I don't want to bring no. the beautiful people of New Orleans. That was only for New Orleans. And they're on their wonderful new helmet as well. Shout out that helmet. True. Dude, I got to agree with that one, too, that I can't do the strike. I'm sorry. I can't. The the other ones you sent me on IG were much better, I'll admit, but... It was, like, almost I do like perfect. That it's almost perfect. Almost. It is like almost perfect. 97% perfect. You could even, like... Yeah. Something about, too, I don't know why, but, like, the... Because it's not, like, a straight, um, you know, stripe. It's kind of like the like helmet, how it's got that, yeah, the mohawk kind of like mane structure to it. Like, even if you did a square stripe and then you do the little black with the, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you call the symbols. For the fleur de lis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. But, and you have those. I'm over Like, just make it rectangle and clean. Something about, like, the the... Uh, mohawk part of it too. I'm just like, bro, you were almost there, like so close. Right, I get it. I I still like him though, and I like I I just love 
like the NFL needs more fucking uniform matchups anyway. So yes. whatever it is, it's progress in the right direction. True. Very true. Especially for a team like the Saints that hasn't changed their uniforms in a really long time. Like, why them all black is going to be nice, though. Yeah. Yeah, with the black helmet. That is very true. I want the uh, – I mean, I told you, I want the uh, – like a white helmet with the white uniforms, which is like a gold stripe with black outline on the top. Oof. Right gold there. face mask. Right. Oh, yes. That would be so clean, dude. I need it. I need it. I need it. <laughs> okay. All right. With that, uh, we can go ahead and move on to our second story here. Uh, Alan, Z- Alan Lazard signing a uh, restricted free agent tender with the Packers after holding out of minicamp for a few days there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're looking pretty thin on that roster behind him, that wide receiver. So, obviously, want to get him locked up. Um, I, I guess I don't really know exactly how much he was expecting, but uh, he got that RFA tender. Um, so, you know, maybe that's just to kind of hold him over. Um, maybe he's considering this prove it year at this point and he like wasn't satisfied with his market value. Um, so, you know, we'll uh, see what that ends up resulting in him or in for him long term. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Enrique? Yeah, so I'm actually really happy that he did sign this because I think this is like one of the more bigger prove it years uh on the horizon for um certain guys because they're really like they got sammy watkins you know and in my opinion sammy watkins you know is a very serviceable free agent pickup but that like he's just one of those guys that comes in and you know gets a one-year deal because you really don't have anybody you know on your roster and so you need a serviceable free agent um, and I think Alan Lazard has the opportunity, especially with Aaron Rodgers, to step up and make big plays and have a career year and set himself up for a lot of money with Devontae Adams being gone now. You know, the Packers need somebody to go to. Um, and obviously they got the uh, second-round rookie, you know. who? Uh, what's his name? Christian Watson. Christian Watson. You know what I was going to say? I was going to say Christian Wood. Um, uh, so I'm almost. very – He got moved. I know. Well, we were just talking about him the other day. That's what I was saying. Um, but I'm glad that um, I'm glad that that he signed his uh, RFA tender. That way, he can get into camp, get get into making some chemistry with Aaron, and um, you know, hopefully, secure him a motherfucking bag this upcoming year. Because I like Alan yeah. Lazard a lot. I think that he's a good player, and um, you know, you're playing with the back-to-back MVP. You're playing with the fifty million dollar man himself, Aaron Aaron Rodgers. So you better make uh make make it worth it and get you some money too, because I mean Devontae went and got him some money. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. Uh and I mean, yeah, that's a great point by you is uh he's got a really great opportunity sitting in front of him to uh show out this year and get paid next year and uh you know especially, like you said, after Devontae Adams leaves in free agency and then uh, MVS as well over to the Chiefs. Uh, you know, you talk about Christian Watson, a guy that I really, really like uh, coming into this draft, but I do think that he's a raw uh, type of guy and he's got a lot of development that he does need to do, but he's got a very high ceiling uh, once he gets there. And so far, it sounds like he's impressed in camp. I feel like that's, you know, pretty much always hear that. 
Um, but we'll have to see as we get closer into training camp and preseason uh, how he's really looking. Um, and I think that's going to be part of what determines how much of a role that Alan Lazard can get as well. But uh, like you said, I mean, other than Randall Cobb, and I mean, Amari Rogers is not going to be competing for the same snaps. So other than Randall Cobb, that, like Alan Lazard is the only wide receiver left that has that built up chemistry already with Aaron. So, yeah, like you said, I would expect him to be uh, an early favorite target and uh, hopefully can put together a really great year this year and get paid next year. So our third story here, Jarek McKinnon uh, re-signing with the Chiefs on a one-year deal. And, yeah, I mean, I, I really like this move for the Chiefs. Um, I mean, I guess I don't, obviously, as a Broncos fan, but I do think it solidifies that uh, running back room. So now you're looking at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, Ronald Jones and Jarek McKinnon in there. So you've got solid uh, receiving threat, uh, both in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jarek McKinnon. Uh, they can do some running, and then Ronald jo uh, Jones II going to be a big piece in that actual running game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the Chiefs have had a fairly uh, on and off kind of weak running back room the last few years and just not deep. Um, you know, apart from you talk about like Damian Williams, who kind of showed up sometimes, but it's just never been consistent for them. And so they've relied on their passing game. Um, but I do think that this solidifies that room a little bit more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I would even almost say that their running back room is looking quite dangerous, if I'm being honest with you. I'm, I'm a big Rojo guy. Um, yeah. So when I saw that he signed with the Chiefs, I was like, fuck, that's a good signing. Um, because you're right, they don't really have like an in-between rough-and-tumble type of tackler. And, you know, the Chiefs' um, running back room has been so inconsistent over the last few years that I think it's nice to get three quality guys in there. Um, I'm a high on Jeremy McKinnon as well. So, yeah, I think that this is um, – I think this is a perfect move for the Chiefs. And, I mean, they stay doing stuff like this. So I don't know why I'm really surprised. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a solid move. You get a nice – uh, third uh, running back, especially to add another passing option um, for Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. And um, I don't know, man. I just I, – I feel like the Chiefs have, like, low-key moves that as I'm looking back, I'm like, I don't know, it makes a lot of sense. Like, the Juju thing, Juju looks good up there, dude. Like, I think that's a good fit. So, I'm like, fuck. And they didn't have to pay every show. What's that? Doing his TikToks. Doing his TikToks. Um, and they didn't have to pay Tyreek either. Like, it just, they stay making good moves, dog. I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, and you talk about uh, Marcus Valdez Stanton, who came over from the Packers as well. I mean, we'll have to see exactly how quick of a start they can come out to, but uh, they're certainly not lacking in talent in the wide receiver room. Um, you know, I, I do feel like they will potentially take a step back, but that's just going to depend on those guys and uh, how quickly they can step up. And we, we don't know until we see what kind of uh, chemistry he can build with those guys, Patrick Mahomes can. So uh, we'll just have to see, but certainly, like you mentioned, uh, another receiving threat out of the backfield there, uh, Jared McKinnon, who already has some chemistry with Patrick Mahomes, has played with the Chiefs and had success with them in the past. So yeah, a uh, good move at this time of the year. Just cheap deal there. And then a not cheap deal, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick agreeing to a four-year, $73.6 million extension with Pittsburgh Steelers. He will receive $36 million guaranteed 
and is now the highest paid safety in the NFL at $18.4 million per year. Obviously, well-deserved. Um, came over from the Dolphins in a trade there because he was kind of just disgruntled, uh, which looking back to the Dolphins, obviously, unfortunately, you would love to have that piece back. Um, but now he finds a long-term home with the Steelers uh, and showed out since day one when he came in there. Um, so, yeah, good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we talk about it every single time we see a guy get a bag like this. Like, just congratulations on that motherfucking bag because yeah. not everybody gets paid like that. Not everybody's the top of the top like that. And um, when you see guys get a contract that's very deserving, you love to see it. And, yeah, I mean, I loved when uh, Minka was traded out of my division. So I'm fucking cool <laughs> with it. Like, fuck that. Like, I, I hated when he played for the Dolphins. And he only played for the Dolphins, I think, like two years, um, maybe three. And then he got traded over to the Steelers. So, um, yeah, good. Congrats, congrats to Minka. Congrats to the Steelers. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's why when you see a guy like Kyle Hamilton fall to the Ravens, you, you like, if you're in the AFC North, like Minka Fitzpatrick is, um, you're nervous when you see sh- shit like that happens because safeties do make an impact on the game. It's just the really, really good ones make huge impacts. And, yeah. you know, Mika Fitzpatrick has um, has made an impact with the Steelers since he got there literally day one, like you said. So, yeah, congrats to that dude. He's a baller. I'd go with a Mika jersey. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't love I'd the 39. Minka or TJ. Right. That's pretty fair. Yeah, I mean, well, and TJ, I mean, can't go wrong there. And that's a clean 92. I, I'm not a huge Damn. fan of the 39. It's, like, fine. It's not my favorite number for a safety, but he rocks it. Did he wear 39 in, um, in Miami? I was actually literally about to ask because I think it was something in the 20s. Um, I almost want to say, like, 27. Uh, but I, I thought, yeah. yeah, I thought it was something in the 20s, too. 29. Uh, so he just he went up a 10. So 39. Went up a 10. Honestly, 29 is cleaner than 39, but yeah, especially for a safety. No lie. Earl Thomas. Calm down, Earl Thomas. Yeah, right. Yeah, but we yeah, don't I mean, talk about Earl him. Thomas no more. Dude, well, because he's had he's had a rough time. <laughs> he's he's, he's not doing so time. right now. But he's um, not doing he's not doing good. <laughs> no, but uh yeah, so our next story here, a jet story. Uh, Mikai Becton returns to the Jets for mandatory minicamp after not being present for OTAs. I think the only reason this is a story to begin with uh, is because, uh, you know, obviously you don't see him at the optional OTAs uh, and he's had like, I don't even want to call it like disgruntledness. And maybe I should let you tell the story since you know uh, in more detail than I do, but he's had some um, kind of, I guess, issues with showing up and being fully present before. So uh, it is a new story that he did officially come to mandatory minicamp. So let me say this, okay? And if you're a Jets fan that's listening to this podcast, I appreciate you. You're my fellow brother. But the Jets fan base is toxic as fuck, bro. Like, <laughs> dude, yeah. like, I'm telling you. I'm, I, dude, I'm part of so many Jets, like, groups online and – Dude, like, I don't know whether Jets fans hate Mekhi Becton or they love Mekhi Becton <laughs> because they're so quick. If Mekhi does anything, they're so quick to pounce on him, um, call him a bust. Mekhi, got, Mekhi had a um, 
a small, I think it was like a foot injury. And it got worse. He wasn't able to work out. He's a giant, enormous man. Usually when people don't work out, what happens? They just get a little bit bigger. You know, he right. it, it got fucked up. He missed the season. It is what it is. Um, he, I don't know if you saw this, but um, when he showed up to the media, uh, the mandatory media after um, fucking OTAs, um, he had a, I think it was like a blue shirt. And it had like all kinds of like writing on it and said like bust and like fat ass and just all these like fucked up things. And it was all stuff that people were saying about him. And so it was like a, it was like a big fuck you to all of his haters, which again are very unwarranted uh, haters. And some of them are Jets fans, unfortunately. It is what it is. Um, but Makai's going to do great. He's, he just became a new dad. Um, so happy Father's Day to Makai Beckton. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I can speak from experience. There's nothing that motivates you like becoming a dad. Um, and so, yeah, he's a great player. He's got all the physical traits of a dominant left tackle. He was dominant. His, um, he was one of the better left tackles his rookie year. Um, and so, you know, hopefully he was put in the mental reps and hopefully the physical meets the mental this year, year three with Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore and, He's got so much more help on that offensive line. Uh, we were ranked 11th in total uh, offensive line rankings uh, last year, and that was without Mackay Becton. So oh, wow. all I'm saying is with Mackay Becton, I really see the Jets' offensive line uh, taking a, a leap forward, possibly possibly breaking that top five of uh, best offensive lines in the league this year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we love to see it, and I hope the best for him coming up in the season. Just hasn't had an opportunity uh, to come out. I mean, we talk about he played his rookie year, and then, like you said, missed almost his entire second year with that uh, foot injury. And so, uh, yeah, just looking forward to him getting an opportunity to finally show what growth he's had. And I think part of – I mean, I know you almost shouldn't even spend the time talking about people with the, the negative, uh, like – you know, pushing just for no reason, pushing the negative um, and saying he's a bust and uh, calling them names and doing stuff like that. I don't think people understand, like, when you have an injury like that, like you said, they have to stop working out. And even as a normal person, say you have an injury and you have to stop working out because you can't while you're dealing with that, and you will balloon up, like you'll gain some weight. And especially when it comes to offensive and defensive linemen, I don't think people understand the like actual volume of food that they consume on a daily basis to maintain the size that they're at. Like they're constantly eating. So when you get injured like that, you have to completely shift your entire diet to not, uh, you know, balloon up in size, especially when you're eating thousands and thousands of calories a day, even if it's healthy food, if you're not working out and you're not uh, building that muscle, it's just going to turn into fat. You know what I mean? And so people are so quick to judge without applying the context to it. Uh, And it's just, you know, whatever. We're excited to see what he can do this year. Uh, You know, it really shouldn't even be a new story. Like, cause it's weird because he's almost viewed, at least it seems like in media, uh, Mikhail Becton is as like, he's um, like a problem child where he's like, 
you know, raising issues, but it seems like he's just hungry to get on the field and hungry to get better and has been struggling to get going and people have just been volatile to him because of it. So, yeah, I mean, just hope for the best for him and uh, excited to see what he can do. Um, so with that, I guess we can go ahead and move on to our fourth story today. Or I'm sorry, fifth story today. Jaquiski Tart agreeing to a one-year deal with the Eagles. Um, yeah, I mean, needed some safety help over there. And they finally get it with Jaquiski Tart coming over from the 49ers. Um, you know, you have Anthony Harris at free safety on the other side. Uh, you know, obviously want to give uh, Darius Slay some help there. I think that's a really solid pickup. Yeah, I, I I love this move from the Eagles. I think this is um, I just think this is a very solid uh veteran presence. You know, like especially to get uh to get him so late into free agency is um is hilarious as well because I honestly felt like he'd get picked up pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a good deal for the Eagles solidifying that secondary. Um, they have. Big play slay. Yep. Who else did they go get? Uh, oh, they, they got James Bradbury. Yeah. They got James they Bradbury. On a corner, yep. They still got Avante Maddox at corner, Zach McPherson, and then the starting safeties are now Anthony Harris, which I know you like, and then uh, yep. Jaquiski Tart. So, yeah. Yeah, dude. Looking pretty nice secondary, bro. Yeah, that's, and get, get that's some uh, help for Darius Slay, most importantly. I mean, I feel like almost every time we've talked about the Eagles, that's all we're saying is, like, get him some help, you know, because he's been struggling kind of out on an island the last couple of years. And not to say they haven't had anybody out there to help him, um, but this is certainly, on paper, the best supporting cast uh, in terms of the defensive backfield that Darius Slay has had uh, in his time with the Eagles. And, I mean, just supporting cast in general. Uh, you know, add some offensive pieces, A.J. Brown and draft some guys. Uh, and then they had a really positive defensive draft, too, and uh, locked in some, like, you know, probably future core players um, in terms of, uh, you know, pickups there in the draft. So Eagles are looking really, really interesting, especially if uh, Jalen Hurts can get off to a quick start there. Uh, so, yeah, great, great addition there. I think that kind of, I mean, even more so, I'm not trying to say that, Eagles are like, they don't have holes or anything, but they've put together a heck of a roster when you start looking at it. Um, and at least your starting 22 is looking pretty dang solid. Um, I think the biggest question I have is like your offensive line, but you've still got Jordan Mailata at left tackle, Jason Kelsey at center, and then Lane Johnson at right tackle. And it's just those guard pitchers. And so like the Eagles, bro. Dude, the Eagles look good. I'm telling you, they – and like, not to mention, they got fucking young, upcoming Jalen Hurts. They just fucking traded for AJ Brown. Like, they're aggressive. Um, like, yeah, dog. Like, I, I think they, they got Hassan Reddick. Like, the Eagles yep. could really be looking to make some noise, dude. Like, that's what I'm saying. Is oh yeah. Well, and then they had a crazy, crazy draft class as well. So. Man, I cannot wait to break down the Eagles. That's going to be a nice team to break down. That's going to be a nice team to break down. Uh, we might, we might, we might have to fight over that one, Ryan. That one's going to be tough. And maybe we can do it. Um, like we're going to do the Bills and just do it together. So. Yeah, exactly. We could do that as well. Uh, real quick though, did you did you see that video that I sent you about Darius Slay not like being called Darius? I did. It's 
I mean, I don't know. I, I can't get That's mad at somebody hilarious. for not wanting to be called something else. But it, yeah, it's just funny. It's like, all right, bro. If you're that offended. That's why I, I don't know if you heard. I, I, until just right now, I didn't, I didn't call him that. So you were dropping that shit like a motherfucker, though. So Dude, if, 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 uh, if Mr. Slay never comes on the show, it's because you called him. His, exactly. You called him, you called him that other name too much. Dang. Burning these bridges before you even get a chance to see them, bro. Burn, burning these bridges, and we love the Eagles too. So, and we love, we love, uh, we love their corner, Mister Slay, um, as well. So, um, but yeah, the Eagles are definitely looking solid. So, I'm excited to see what that revamped secondary do, uh, does. And uh, mainly, I just want to see Jalen Hurts and fucking Devontae Smith just eat dog i just want i want those two guys to have so much success i love them both so much yeah that um yeah they're just good dudes yeah well and especially for Jalen, who like if he doesn't take off this year i think the eagles are going to look for a replacement um i'm really hoping he can put it together this year unfortunately the better the roster looks the less excuses he has too so uh hoping for the best for that eagles team and especially Jalen hurts i think he's the answer i know you think he's the answer you just got to prove it. So we're going to see this upcoming year. All right. And with that, let's jump right into the Buffalo Bills breakdown. Uh, to start us off, let's look at the GM and head coach, general manager Brandon Bean coming in 20, er, uh, 2017, and then head coach Sean McDermott coming in the same year. Um, yeah, those two have really turned Buffalo around. I mean, you think about uh, – since the nineties there and the run that they've had, they really, although they've had points where they've, um, you know, kind of put a little bit of a team together. You talk about the Ryan Fitzpatrick years, you got Kyle Orton in there for a little bit. Like there's Tyrod Taylor was eventually the one, uh, you know, out of many quarterbacks and uh, many rosters that they went through uh, in 2018 that brought them back to the playoffs. And then uh, that same year they draft Josh Allen and have built really well around them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kudos to those guys. I think they're an example of uh, when a coaching and general manager change, they come in together and they do it the right way, uh, and they're patient, and uh, they're starting to see the dividends here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we were uh, just talking about, you know, the Bills being my division rival, and – it's just so crazy when you start seeing like your division rival do it the right way. You know, you like just yearn for that. So fucking bad. You're just like, Oh, if we could just, we could just get us a Sean McDermott or a Brandon Bean, then we would be solid. And um, I feel like the jets finally have that Um, not to bring everything back to the jets, but, uh, but yeah, these guys have been outstanding in Buffalo. They've put together a super bowl contender of a roster and, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, we're doing the Buffalo Bills together. One, because, uh, you know, as we're doing these team breakdowns, you know, there's four in each division. I already did the Jets pretty much. Um, and so what, you know, we decided was to do the Bills together. And I'm so excited to do the breakdown with you because it's just such a good team that these guys have put together. And they've surrounded Josh Allen with um, just so much talent. It's crazy how much talent they've just surrounded and continue to surround um, him with, you know, especially I think they had an outstanding draft class this year as well. So kudos to those guys. 
Absolutely. And just like you said, a great draft class, and we can jump right into that and go through it here. Uh, so in the first round at number 23, Kyrie Elam, a cornerback out of Florida, a guy that I really liked coming into the draft, uh, and is going to be a good player for them for sure. I, I thought that like that was right around where pretty much everybody expected him to go in that draft uh, around in the 20s or so. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, a good value there. Uh, and he's going to be a starting cornerback for them. Uh, at pick number two, you have James Cook, the running back out of Georgia. Uh, you know, another very dynamic player, one of the best backs in the draft there. Uh, and then at round three, number 89, Terrell Bernard, a linebacker out of Baylor. Uh, at round five, 148, Khalil Shakir, a wide receiver out of Boise State. A really underrated pickup that I want to talk about a little bit later here. Uh, and then at round six, 180, Matt Areza, punter out of uh, San Diego State. And this is where I have to, uh, you know, apologize to you, Enrique, because I gave you some false information. Uh, I'm not sure what week it was. I think it was a few episodes ago. Uh, we were covering, I want to say it was the Buccaneers. They drafted a punter. And you asked if it was the punt god. And I thought it was. But actually, Matt Areza here out of SD State was the punt god. Uh, so the punt guy oh. is with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> but, well, uh, I appreciate your honesty. And um, I think the listeners appreciate the honesty too. Um, and yeah, I mean, Ryan, let's just not, let's not ever mix up the punt God ever again, because I mean, the, the name, the punt God, you know, means that um, he's got powers, Ryan. He's got, yeah. he's got, He's got stuff that I don't want to. I don't want to mess with. It's true. I felt very disrespectful uh, after disrespecting the punt god, uh, you know. So uh, I had to bring that up for sure. But yeah, he lands here with the Buffalo Bills in the sixth round, a solid pickup. Uh, and then their next sixth round pick, a uh, pick there at one eighty-five, Christian Benford, a cornerback out of Illinois. Uh, another sixth round pick, two oh nine, Luke Tenuta, an offensive lineman out of Virginia Tech. And then in round seven, number 231, they close it out with Dalen Spector, a linebacker out of Clemson. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like you said, a really solid draft class. A few players in there that really piqued my interest, uh, including the punt god. Uh, but, yeah, a few others in there that are going to make, uh, at least I think, a very uh, positive and immediate impact for this team. Yeah, and no doubt about it. I mean, I think that, you know, Kyrie Elam is one of my favorite players in this draft period. Um, you know, so I, I love Kyrie Elam coming out of this draft, and especially the Bills getting him. Um, there was a big difference when Tredavious White was not in the lineup. And so hopefully Kyrie Elam can, you know, add some help uh, to Tredavious White. Um, but also, you know, if for whatever reason another corner goes down, um, you know, the pedigree that this guy has uh, coming out of Florida is very nice. Um, and then, um, also James Cook, brother of Dalvin Cook with the Minnesota yes, Vikings. So, you know, I mean, the bloodlines right there, um, uh, it speaks for itself. Dalvin Cook has been a stud for the Vikings and I'm hoping that his brother comes in and, um, is able to do the same thing. So, and then obviously, you know, besides us confusing what team he was on, um, the punk God himself, you know, and I'm. Dude, I'm I'm all for a team taking a punter or a kicker as a draft pick. Like, it. Um, let me tell you, the Jets had such bad kicking problems last year that I would have 
if you guys would have took one of those first round draft picks and took a kicker, you would have never got no complaints from me, Ryan. You would have <laughs> never got no complaints from me. Uh, like if we would have fucking whipped out on Jermaine Johnson um, and got fucking Matt Ariza in the first round, I would have been Why not? just fine Why not? with it. Right. I would have been – well, maybe not Matt Ariza, but um, like some sort of godlike kicker, um, I would have been okay with it because like it just is it, – it, it's a part of football that matters no matter how many people say that special teams doesn't matter. Special teams fucking matters. Um, and it can literally win or lose you games. It's field position when it's a punter. It's, you know, extra points. It's, it's so much stuff. So – I'm all for it. Um, shout out to the Bills. Plus, they really don't have any holes on their roster anymore. Like, when you start drafting punters, my boy, that's how you know you're set. Like, that's how you know you got a Super Bowl roster every year. When you're drafting punters, you're good. Right. Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. Uh, you know, punters matter too. And, like, you know, it's one of those things where, like you said, when you're in an advantageous position in terms of what you already have on your roster – you can spare a draft pick on a punter in the first place. But then also, like, they are critical positions, and the teams that struggle with them, that is, like, a, a very, uh, you know, it's, like, one of their most debilitating weaknesses, generally. I mean, and, and one of the things that stands out the most as well when you just can't get those uh, special teams done correctly. Um, and so why bother, like, you talk about most teams who – will wait until uh, the undrafted free agent pool and then take a look at a bunch of punters and find one that's going to be good enough, right? And generally right. speaking, then you're going to have turnover, whether that's constantly or a couple of years at a time or whatever. Um, why do that when you can spend a sixth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, a seventh-round pick on a kicker punter that has a higher likelihood, like get your basically first selection of that, uh, top of the pool there before they go into undrafted free agents, pick someone that you have or has like the highest upside. And obviously it's not going to work out every single time, but then um, more often than not, it feels like you end up seeing, uh, you know, these kickers, punchers that have long careers with the same team. Uh, and I think that that's just a gateway to that. And that's a smart way to build your roster. Uh, Cause it's just, when you have a weakness there, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, and it's, one of the worst things you can do for your team uh, in terms of, you know, trying to help them get wins. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you with uh, drafting punters and kickers. And, uh, yeah, this whole draft class, I mean, just really solid overall uh, and a, a few players that are going to give uh, immediate impact for the team. All right, and then moving on here. So the key departures from last year here, starting with Levi Wallace, a cornerback, went over to the Steelers, and last year, Levi Wallace played 92% of the snaps for this team. Um, so, damn. And that's going to kind of be a theme as we go through these is uh, the Bills lost a lot of impact players uh, that played a lot for them. Uh, so that's going to be something that they're looking to recover from this year. Um, next up, Daryl Williams, their right tackle, uh, free air is still a free agent, has not been picked up yet, and he played 97% of the snaps. Uh so, you know, another key contributor there. Cole Beasley, wide receiver, uh, still a free agent. He played 57.7%. Uh, Emmanuel Sounders, shout out, former Bronco. I own his jersey. 
uh, wide receiver. He is still a free agent as well. Played 62% of their uh, snaps. Harrison Phillips, uh, defensive lineman, went over to the Vikings, and he played 44%. Jerry Hughes, an edge, went over to the Texans, 51.8% for him. And then uh, two more, Mar- Mario Addison, another edge, went over to the Texans as well. And Vernon Butler, an inside defensive lineman, went over to the Raiders. So, yeah, a lot of key. And that wasn't even, like, everybody. That was just, like, the reasonably, you know, impact players, like the ones that, that uh, actually played for this team last year. So, I mean, just a lot of uh, key bodies to have to fill. Um, and they did for some of them. And we can talk a little bit about that when we go into the roster. But uh, what are your thoughts here in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, you know, shout out again to, um, you know, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean because they're – right away right like the first one we name off is levi wallace and levi wallace was a huge part of uh their secondary off to the steelers who do they get kyer elam to replace him you know and obviously those are different corners they're going to do different things uh different players altogether. um but yeah right away go ahead and get somebody to replace them i would say the biggest thing um and i'm not sure of the um I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, I know off the top of my head the right tackle or the tackle situation for the Bills right now. Um, I don't necessarily think that they have guys that are, like, you know, life changers or anything like that. Um, it's not like they are they got Tyron Smith playing left tackle for him or Mekhi Becton or something. Um, so I, I worry about the Darrell Williams um, departure especially with him being a free agent as well. Um, why not bring someone like that back? <clears throat> and then, you know, you lose a veteran presence that's been there for a long time, Jerry Hughes. Um, I think that for the, a locker room move, you know, that's going to be pretty big. Um, yeah. But I think ultimately the Bills, um, the Bills know how to, you know, keep enough talent going. And I think that, you know, you know, just glancing through the roster right now without going through the, um, like the full breakdown as we're getting to, um, I think that these are guys that can be, you know, the, their departures can be covered up, you know, by other pieces on the team, um, by, you know, some of the draft picks that they picked this year. Um, like I mentioned with Kyrie Elam. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's all about the team betting on the fact that they they didn't necessarily need those guys because they believe in the guys that they have on the roster. Um, and, yeah, obviously, as we get through OTAs and training camps and et cetera, et cetera, um, and into the preseason and, you know, final roster cuts, we'll see um, kind of how this team develops a little bit more. But, you know, obviously – I don't know. I just think the Bills are still still going to be okay. I, I think the two big ones for me are Levi Wallace and Darrell Williams. Um, you know, they just played so much uh, for that this team last year that it's going to be hard for me to believe that a, a rookie coming right in is going to replace all of that, especially for uh, Levi Wallace. But we'll, 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 we'll end up seeing what happens. Kyrie Elam is a very talented player. So, um, yeah, I just got to have faith in my boy and 
you know, I'm not as a Jets fan, like, and we talked about this as well. I I don't mind the Bills, but you know, like if the Bills were gonna be like a little weaker this year, that'd be cool. But, like, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be mad at that, you know. Yeah, no, I can't blame you there. Um, but yeah, I will say we could talk about the guys they do have at right tackle when we get down there uh, with the roster. But uh, an interesting note that I learned with the Daryl uh, Williams situation. Uh, and this is not like like he's come out and said comments to this effect. It's more just like inferring based on the situation. Basically, Daryl Williams was uh, cut because he was going to, like his contract, he was going to uh, have to, uh, like he's going to be owed like a big chunk of money and more than uh, he had been. So it was kind of cap casualty type of situation for him. And so like it might be one of those situations where if you're Daryl Williams and you're looking at a lower money contract, do you want to go back to the bills who just cut you and because they didn't want to pay you a bunch of the contract that you signed or do you sign somewhere else? And I mean, that's dependent on a lot of factors, but I just thought that that was an interesting note to uh, throw in because I thought the same thing is like when, again, we'll talk about where we go in the roster, but you are relying on young, unproven guys at that right tackle spot right now. And so him still being a free agent, your ears kind of perk up. And you're like, oh, well, maybe that's a target for them to uh, sign real quick at this point in free agency. Uh, but there's a few more kind of ruffles in it than that. So, um, But with that, uh, we can go ahead and just jump right into that roster and we can end up uh, talking a little bit more about that. So starting with the quarterback, uh, Josh Allen, obviously, uh, you know, just keeps getting better and better, uh, had crazy games last year, uh, and has really kind of come into his own as a uh, franchise quarterback in the NFL um, and really competing, like putting his name up there with the top, top guys. Um, and so I think that he's still looking to prove himself and get into the Super Bowl. Uh, he's not been able to reach yet, uh, but I think, you know, depending on, again, kind of like what we alluded to, uh, depending on uh, as long as the team around them can fulfill the uh, expectations when they're relying on some young guys, uh, they have a chance to get back there this year uh, and really compete. So uh, behind Josh Allen, Case Keenum coming over from Cleveland and free agency, and then behind him, Matt Barkley. And uh, running back, you're starting with Devin Singletary, and then behind him, James Cook, who we talked about, Dalvin Cook's brother. Um, I honestly expect James Cook to come in and be the starter, to be honest with you. I think he's going to share carries, and I think it's going to be by committee uh, in this running back room here. But I do expect James Cook to start fast uh, and be a key contributor to this team uh, in year one. So we'll have to see how that goes. But uh, behind him, Duke Johnson comes over in free agency from Miami. And then Zach Moss and Taiwan Jones. Uh, Taiwan Jones, a, a special teams guy who the, I guess the previous special teams coach liked him, but they now have a different special teams coach. So we'll just have to see. He may end up being one of those casualties there. Um, and then Zach Moss, a younger guy who they're still kind of waiting on uh, to show the production that they wanted out of him. Um, but, I mean, not bad as your fourth back behind Duke Johnson, who can probably contribute a little bit as well. Um, so, and I think the Bills were kind of in the same uh, spot as when we talk about the Chiefs, where 
I don't even want to say necessarily weaknesses, but one of the weaker points of their roster over the last few years has been running back. Um, and I do think with the addition of James Cook, this uh, room is looking a lot better. Uh, so moving on to tight end, Dawson Knox. Uh, obviously, we talked about him and potentially being the number one tight end in the division, at least. Uh, and he's been good the last couple of years with Josh Allen and uh, still putting up those numbers. We'll have to see what he can do coming up this year uh, and just how much better he can get. Behind him, they bring in O.J. Howard from Tampa Bay. A really solid addition here um, in a tight end room that was kind of lacking any other uh, threat behind Dawson Knox. I really like this addition. Uh, give O.J. Howard, you know, a fresh place to, uh, to be. and uh, Hopefully he can get even more production uh, after leaving Tampa Bay where he was kind of like, I guess, having problems, but just wasn't always getting all the way up to speed with everything. So uh, hopefully, you know, new faces, new places will be good for him. And then behind uh, them, you know, it's kind of just a who's who, Tommy Sweeney, Jalen Wordemeyer is an undrafted free agent, and then Quinton Morris. So at least you have those two solid threats uh, at the top there. And then the wide receiver room, Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, who is now your number two after showing out last year uh, and really coming on at the end of the season there, especially in the playoffs, he played really, really well. What, what was it, a four-touchdown game he had? Yeah, like four. Yeah, four or five. If I if I'm being honest, dude went the fuck off, bro. Like, off. can't even lie, dude went the fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so excited for him to see what he can do as the number two, and then behind him, I do want to get your opinion on this as well. Well, I want to get your opinion on all of it, but especially this as well. Uh, Jameson Crowder coming over from New York Jets, who I did think was kind of an underrated loss for you guys, to be honest with you, but you did fill that room enough that I'm not concerned about that necessarily, uh, but he's a solid player uh, in my eyes at least. And then behind him, former Bronco Isaiah McKenzie uh, showing out, starting to get a little bit more of an offensive role, uh, mostly returner and has been throughout his career, uh, standout returner. Um, but yeah, developing a little bit of an offensive game. I don't know how included he's going to be, but we'll have to see. And then uh, somebody I really wanted to talk about. So in the rookie class, Shakir Khalil, uh, in their fifth round pick, number 148 out of Boise State. He's really interesting. Uh, I think he might end up being a star like later on in his career. I do think he has development and it could go one of both ways because he is a smaller guy. I think he played physically in college. And so I have, I have hopes that he's going to have success at the next level. Um, but he may not, there's always that risk with the smaller guys that he may not have uh anywhere near the potential that he had in college uh, be just because of the size and the physicality difference in the NFL. So we'll just have to see how that goes with him. But provided he can find a niche for himself, in college, he was running the ball. You know, he caught passes all across the field. He caught deep balls as a small guy. He knew how to get separation. He's a smart player. Uh, he fulfilled a lot of roles for Boise State, and he's a really, really interesting player. Um, and I think that he might be kind of underrated. I don't know how like quickly his effect is going to come on. And again, he could bust out just based on the size, but we'll just have to see how it goes. Um, I really like him and I like what I've seen from him uh, and I'm excited. And that's an interesting threat to give uh, Josh Allen because he doesn't really have any like anybody like that, that kind of scrappy slot wide receiver that can also do deep balls 
They can also do middle of the field routes, like just pretty much anything. Can run the ball, you know what I mean? Give them a sweep, put them in the backfield. Like you can do whatever. As long as he holds up to the physicality of the game, he has experience in college doing literally whatever. Um, so it's really exciting there. Um, but then behind him, Jake Kumaro, uh, Tavon Austin comes over from Jacksonville. Uh, an interesting one there. He's kind of going to be competing to even make the roster, to be honest with you. They didn't pay him a lot. Um, so, yeah, we'll just have to see. Behind him, Marquez Stevenson, Isaiah Hodgins, Tanner Gentry, and then Paul Neal, an undrafted free agent. And uh, to run over their uh, offensive line real quick, at left tackle, Deion Dawkins, uh, who's been solid. Behind him, Tommy Doyle. And Luke Tenuta, the rookie that we were talking about in the sixth round, comes in. And then Tanner Owen, an undrafted free agent. Left guard, they bring in Roger Saffold from Tennessee, a solid addition there. Uh, they bring in Greg Van Rotten from uh, New York Jets, who I want to talk about with you as well. Uh, and uh, again, I mean, you, you'll know better than I do, but my understanding is he can play both guard positions. Uh, so he'll be some nice depth for them. And then uh, Ike Boker behind them at center, Mitch Morse, and then Greg Makes comes in from Miami. Right guard, you have Ryan Bates, and then Cody Ford and Jacob Capra. And then at right tackle, you're looking at Spencer Brown. David Questenberry comes in from Tennessee, and then Bobby Hart. Uh, so, you know, that's the whole offense there. Uh, just to kind of recap, and then I'll toss it over to you, Enrique, for your thoughts on everything. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, this Bills offense has been uh, rising and rising. Uh, you do lose some of your threats there in terms of Cole Beasley and Manuel Sanders. Um, you do lose Darrell Williams, a right tackle. So they're looking to overcome those losses there. Um, Spencer Brown, somebody who they brought back this offseason and uh, gave him a competing offer. He was going to go somewhere else. So clearly somebody that they feel strongly enough in uh, to bring back as their starter. We'll have to see there. Uh, David Questenberry, good backup behind him, though. He's had a lot of snaps. He's not necessarily like the greatest player, but he's one of those players that's traveled around a little bit, gotten a lot of snaps, and is like decent. Like if you have no other option, you're like not sweating totally when you have David Questenberry in there. You know what I mean? So worst case scenario, you look at David Questenberry, and then he can do some of the uh, inside positions as well. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you bring in Roger Saffold to fill that guard spot. Mitch Morse has been solid. Ryan Bates is solid. Deion Dawkins is solid. Still a younger guy. Uh, still developing, to be honest with you. Um, and then, I mean, wide receiver, you look at the losses they took. But Gabriel Davis coming into his own at the end of last year hopes to be better. Uh, Jamison Crowder coming in from New York Jets, uh, who's going to be solid number three there. And then talked about Shakir Khalil and if uh, Isaiah McKenzie can figure out an offensive role as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not hurt. Uh, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on this whole offense, Enrique? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is an offense that is definitely going to get uh, much better with the addition of uh, James Cook. Um, I think that that's the one thing for me that the Bills have lacked um, the last few years is just having a um, – a very consistent running attack yeah. to pair along. I mean, cause honestly, besides Josh Allen, you know, they would have times where, you know, the running backs are going over hundred yards times when they're not. 
Um, and so I never got I, – I was never worried about the Buffalo Bills running the ball. And I feel like when that's something I can say about your offense, um, you know, that tends to make me believe that the offense might be, you know, doing running the ball in non-traditional ways, you know, kind of like they do with Josh Allen um, or like the 49ers do with Debo Samuel or something along those lines. But um, I like to just – I would like to have just some traditional running game and I think James Cook adds to that running back room that, you know, had some pieces for sure, but I think he's probably the most talented one in the room. Um, and I think he, I, I really do think he's going to hit the ground running. Um, obviously Josh Allen has been the man. And I think that honestly, the, the wide receivers he has right now, and uh, especially um, with my man that came over from the, uh, they came over from the Jets. Um, fucking, what's his name? Um, Jameson Crowder. Jameson Crowder, yeah. Um, Jameson Crowder was like the perfect wide receiver for what Zach Wilson um, needs because he is a just a very clutch wide receiver. He gets open. Um, honestly, he was the best wide receiver on our roster for uh, a few years. Um, and he even restructured to stay with the Jets. So I appreciate James Crowder so much. Um, he And he did a lot of, you know, uh, community work uh, up in New York as well while he was up there, um, you know, working with lots of autistic kids and, you know, just giving back to the community. So shout out to James Crowder for um, being a good man on top of being a great football player. But, yeah, I, I this is a huge piece. Even though we um, – Still have a very nice wide receiver room. Honestly, I feel better about my wide receiver room than looking at the Bills um, and seeing theirs. I think it's obviously very much highlighted by Stefan Diggs being one of, you know, um, you know, I'm not sure where you have Stefan Diggs. I, I forgot where we had uh, where you said that you had him in, you know, terms of being the, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. But that's exactly what he is as he is in that conversation for sure. Um, so very much highlighted by Stefan Diggs. But, yeah, I mean, I think that Jameson Crowder adds a very veteran presence that can go over the middle and grab that clutch they're down for you. Um, I think, unfortunately, he's not going to do a lot of crazy, you know, crazy, um, like, trick gadget plays. But, you know, he's just a very solid wide receiver that, was good for the Jets for a really long time and was good in Washington for a really long time as well. Um, so very underrated move. Um, and I think he's going to play dividends for Josh Allen and the Bills offense. But otherwise, I think the Bills offense, um, besides having like some real marquee names on the offensive line, um, I, I feel like their offensive line has obviously been very serviceable, um, you know, and I, I don't want to call them serviceable. Just I say that because I'm not, necessarily sure where they rank in terms of um you know overall offense uh, throughout the nfl but um yeah their offensive line has been good enough to make sure that josh allen gets you know is able to do what he's been able to do his uh first few years into his career which has been phenomenal so yeah i'm a big believer in this bill's offense especially with jameson crowder being there and you know so yeah i'm excited Absolutely. That offense is looking real nice. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump right into the defense. Uh, starting with the safeties, you got Micah Hyde, 
and then Jaquan Johnson behind him, and then strong safety Jordan Poyer, Damar Hamlin, and then Josh Thomas. Obviously, you talk about Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, uh, one of the best safety duos in the league for the last how many ever years it's been now. Um, you know, just gets better and better. And then you look at that cornerback room we talked about a little bit earlier. That's where it kind of gets a little interesting. So you have Tredavious White, one of the premier players in the NFL, one of the best quarterbacks there is. And then uh, Teron Johnson, who's going to fill your slot slash nickel spot. Um, And, I mean, he's okay. He's decent. He's had experience in the past. Behind them, though, you're looking at Kyrie Elam, Elam, the rookie out of Florida from the first round there, who, uh, you know, I, I hope he can make an immediate impact. But, again, I mean, we've talked about corners and, Corner is not necessarily one of those positions that even the top players that come into the draft, they take some time to develop. It's not an instant thing. Uh, sometimes it can be, but that's uh, not the, the rule. Uh, the, that's the exception to the rule. So uh, not that I am necessarily saying to expect uh, Kyrie Elam to get off to a slow start, but if he does, it's not the end of the world. Uh, but that also means that you're really not looking at a lot of depth behind uh, Tredavious White and Terrell Jansen, uh, Johnson because behind Kyrie Elam, you have Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, your other rookie in the sixth round, uh, Nick McLeod, and then Elijah Griffin. Um, so not a whole lot to work with there uh, and definitely one of the thinner rooms on this roster. Uh, you know, obviously, it's hard to call it a weakness with Tredivious White at the top of it and then a fresh first-round pick with upside um, sitting there. But right now, when you're talking about competing rosters or, like, contending rosters, uh, that is a, a red flag for me, just to be honest with you. Um, but we'll just have to see how quickly some of those players can come on and if uh, I'm wrong and they play better than I expect them to. Uh, but moving on to linebacker, you have Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Terrell Bernard, your rookie on the third round, uh, number 89. Uh, you would have Andre Smith, but he's going to be uh, suspended six games for the PED policy. And then behind him, Tyler Matakevich, uh, Tyrell Dodson, and then Balen Spector, your other rookie in the seventh round, number 231. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're kind of top heavy here as well, but. Again, those top players are really solid. You have Tremaine Edmonds, one of the better linebackers in the game. Matt Milano, Matt Milano one of the better linebackers in the game. Um, and then Terrell Bernard, who uh, I do expect to be pretty decent. Uh, they do run a 4-3 scheme. Uh, and so you're looking at all three of those guys being out there at once. Uh, and then probably Andre Smith, depending on how good. I mean, I guess it depends on how quickly Terrell Bernard comes on. You could even look at Tyler Matakevich being your starter um, over Terrell Bernard until Andre Smith comes back, just depending on how that goes. So, uh, But at least Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, uh, two out of the three of your linebackers are really, really solid. Uh, and then looking at your edge slash defensive end spot, uh, Von Miller obviously coming in from the Rams uh, in free agency, uh, you know, Hate, hate to see it because I'm a Broncos fan, but I'm glad that he got the gigantic bag. It was like six years, 120. Um, and so we'd love to see that. Uh, he's already fitting in there. He's already having a good time. Um, I hear that he is 
uh, mentoring the next player here behind him, Gregory Rousseau, uh, who has been coming on here, uh, still a young player, getting better. Obviously, it doesn't hurt to have Von Miller, uh, you know, helping you out a little bit. And then behind him, AJ Epinesa, another young player who has not shown up to his potential uh, quite yet. And hopefully maybe Von Miller can help him out a little bit as well. Uh, Boogie Basham, uh, yet another young player. Uh, and then Shaq Lawson, an older guy, and Mike Love behind all of them. So pretty solid room there. Uh, and then you look at your defensive tackles, and you have Ed Oliver, obviously, the centerpiece. And then Daquan Jones coming in from free agency uh, from Carolina. Uh, Tim Settle comes over from Washington. And then Jordan Phillips comes over from Arizona. And behind them, uh, you have uh, Ili Inku. And yeah, that defensive tackle uh, line is interesting to talk about because you lost Harrison Phillips and Vernon Butler in free agency there. So two really big pieces of that defensive line that is basically the strength of this team or has been. Um, and so now you bring in three different names in free agency, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, and Jordan Phillips. Uh, and you're relying on those guys. You know, obviously you have Ed Oliver, and so that's going to help you out. But other than that, you're relying on new pieces to fit in um, and maintain that strength of this team, uh, which, you know, I do think that the talent is there to do that. And you do never have the depth. I mean, that's four solid names there. And then Ely Anku had some solid snaps last year, too, if they end up keeping him around. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we just have to see how that uh, pans out as well. Uh, and then, so real quick, we'll uh, fire off the specialist and then we'll kick it back to you, Enrique. Uh, the kicker is going to be Tyler Bass, just as it was last year. Your punter, Matt Areza, the punt god, coming in in the sixth round at number 180. And then uh, obviously still have Matt Hack on the roster uh, from last year, who I do expect to be cut. Uh, you know, unless a Matt Areza just bombs, which I, I doubt it, um, you spent a sixth round pick on the punter probably going to pick him over the veteran who did struggle last year. Um, and then your returner room, you're looking at Isaiah McKenzie, always at the top of that room, uh, and then Marcus Stevenson, and somebody who could compete for a spot there if he can't necessarily find an offensive role immediately, um, just because he's a rookie and he's a, what, fifth or sixth rounder. Uh, Shakir Khalil, who I was talking about earlier, he definitely has that, like, He's a very kind of yards after catch shifty player that can move around. Um, and I do think that that, as well as his size and his speed uh, kind of lends to uh, being a returner, obviously. And he did do that in college as well. So uh, yeah, I do expect him to compete for that job, especially if Isaiah McKenzie takes more of an offensive role than I necessarily expect, then they probably won't want him returning kicks as much. So why not give it to, uh, one of the younger guys, whether that's Stevenson uh, or Khalil or somebody else. So with that, Enrique, what are your thoughts on the rest of this roster? Um, uh, well, I think the roster looks really good. Um, I think that it's super highlighted for me by their secondary. Um, Tredavious White, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, I think all those guys are ballers. Um, I think Kair Elam is going to be real nice, especially coming in as a rookie. He kind of be behind Tredavious White a little bit, um, you know, kind of learn from some of the like OGs in the secondary room. Um, I think Tremaine Edmonds has been great as a linebacker. Um, I think obviously adding Von Miller is 
a huge, huge thing. Um, I, I still don't understand that contract though. Um, but I mean, it is what it is, right? Like you can, yeah. you can only do so much. Um, and I'm not going to complain about Vaughn getting uh, another bag. Um, but otherwise, like I think AJ uh, Epinesa, is that how you say his last name? Um, I think he's going to be great. Um, uh, Ed Oliver has obviously been just a stud coming out of Houston um, since he got drafted by the Bills. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, they got the punt god himself, um, who, yeah, like you said, I would imagine is probably going to, I think you said it the other day, if you take a punter in the, if you draft a punter, you pretty much have to, you have to play him. He has to be a part of the team. Otherwise it's like illegal. So, uh, I think, I think Pat, uh, Matt Ariza will probably be a part of the, the team going forward. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I really do think that all in all, their their defense, I mean, from top to bottom, I mean, their offense and defense looks really, really good. Um, I just, that defensive line is just nuts when you start looking at it, um, especially with the addition of Von Miller, because that defensive line was kind of what they were known for up in Buffalo for a little while, um, just because it was so, so vicious. Um, and then you add Von Miller, who has turned back the, uh, you know, hands of time almost. And I mean, he had a significant impact with the Rams last year. So I'm expecting him to continue to have a significant impact for the bills and we'll just kind of see what happens. But I think from top to bottom, the whole roster looks great. And I don't know. I, I think if you really pressed me, it would, um, it'd be hard to like not favor this roster to go uh to go very deep in the playoffs so um yeah yeah, especially with like a a full breakdown of like because even some of their backups you know um you know like i'm a big uh jordan phillips fan i think he's a very good player um so having him back up at oliver is nice um you know espinessa um is going to just continue to get better um you know you got shaq lawson back um yeah, I mean, I really do like a lot of the guys on this roster. Tredavious White is just a lockdown corner. And, you know, you got your first-round rookie learning from him. Um, so, yeah, it's just star, star-lined star uh, roster for sure. And just can't wait to see him um, back, in, back in action. Yeah, I, I 100%. And like you said, I do expect this roster to be contending just like they have been. Um, I do think, I mean, the only thing is like, I have a couple questions in some of the rooms as far as the depth, um, but in most of those rooms, as you touched on, there's really solid veterans um, that are going to help that room and uh, certainly help them grow and, and give them a better chance to be good than uh, if that uh, good player wasn't in that room with them. So. Uh, you know, you talk about like the cornerback room, it does look a little weak after you talk about Tredavious White. Yes, one of the best players in the entire league, one of the best cornerbacks in the entire league. Um, but then you have a lot of young, unproven players behind him. But with Tredavious White leading the way, it's a little easier to stomach. Okay, so let's jump right into our top five storylines going into the season for the Bills. Number one, the Bills now have expectations to win the division and compete for a Super Bowl after getting even closer last year, but the rest of the division is catching up. 
And I mean, obviously talk to you about this Enrique as a Jets fan, you know, the Jets are coming up and building that roster. Zach Wilson is getting better. Talk about the Dolphins relying on Tua to get better and building around him have had a solid roster for the last couple of years, bringing a new uh, promising coach in Mike McDaniel. Um, and then you talk about the Patriots post Brady, you know, they kind of have like been hemorrhaging like name brand talent, but they're building and, you know, we trust Bill Belichick to do his thing, Mr. Hoodie over there. Um, and, what, you know, we'll see what happens with them. They're getting better and better. They Did they make the playoffs last year with Mac Jones? I can't – no, the, they didn't make it, but they got, like, close. Yeah, I think they were, like, right uh, – I think they were right there. I don't think they made the playoffs, though. They were 79. They were, like, they were third in the AFC East. So they're getting no there. no way a seven and nine fucking Patriots team won the fucking playoffs. I'd be so <laughs> fucking pissed. I'd be so goddamn mad. I'd be like, what kind of fucking bullshit rules allowed that to happen? <laughs> goddamn seven and nine team. Well, with the with more fucking teams in the um, like, what we have an extra wild card now. Like, it's right. possible. Well, and it's I get, and I get that, but it's like, come on, it would be the Patriots. Right, it would be the Patriots. No, but yeah, I mean they're they're building there. We'll just have to see how they pan out. But you know, to the larger point, the whole uh, rest of the division is starting to catch up a little bit uh, around the Bills there. Um, and so, you know, especially when you talk about them relying on some younger talent and uh, losing some of the established players there, uh, if they don't necessarily get off to a hot start, it may not be you know the easiest road for the Bills there. Well, and, and this is something that, you know, you start to kind of see as we br- go through these team breakdowns, like obviously we'll get to the bill schedule as well. And that's going to really help us determine what kind of season they're going to have. But when you're, you know, you play your division rivals twice a year. And if you have easy division, if you have an easy division, then those division rival games aren't as dramatic. Like when we remember when we broke down the Colts, these fools got to play the Jaguars twice, the Texans twice, yeah. and the biggest threat is, is the Titans, okay? Yeah. So last year or the year before that, you know, the Bills were kind of swimming in that same kind of territory. You know, they had Josh Allen. Josh Allen's very good. Um, you know, the Patriots are, you know, weakening their grasp on the AFC East. Um, the Jets still suck. The Dolphins still suck. Um, but now this year, every single one of those teams is much, much improved. Um, I can't tell you which AFC East team is the most improved. Um, I'll give you my very ultra-biased answer to that. Um, But everybody already knows what that is. Um, So, like, when you talk about the Dolphins, you have Tyreek Hill and you have, you know, um, Byron Jones and uh, Xavier Howard. And you just have just guys on that team. Uh, Tua Tangovaloa. I'm a a Tua guy. Um, besides the fact that he's a Crimson Tide, um, you know, I just think that in general, I think Tua could be a good quarterback. Um, you know, you got Gilsecki, that who we talked about was in the running of, you know, being the number one. Um, well, he wasn't in the running because he didn't get a vote, but he was an option on our uh, best tight end in the AFC East question, right. you know. Um, and then, yeah, you get into Mac Jones, who had a very promising rookie year. I think he's going to build off of it. Um, you know, they added, you know, Devontae Parker, um, you know, they've, they obviously got Jonah Smith, 
you know, so the Patriots have added guys um, this offseason that can help them continue to compete. And if a rookie Mac Jones took you to seven and nine, that's pretty good, you know. Um, and then obviously when you talk about my Jets, you know, we've added so many good players and we're continuing to uh, add on the experience of our last year rookies, our second year players this year. Um, and so, yeah, the Buffalo Bills definitely have a tougher division this year. Um, you know, I would say much more than they've had in this John or in this Sean McDermott and Josh Allen era. Um, but I still think that they are the the class of the AFC East, and they should they should probably still win the division. Um, but ultimately, it's just going to be a bit harder, especially with the competition of their division rivals now. Yeah. Absolutely can't agree more. Um, and, yeah, I mean, whether it's this year or even next year, I expect those teams to get even stronger uh, and truly compete, like, to take this division away from them. I think, like, this year it could happen for one of these teams if everything falls their way, but most of these teams are still relying on some development. You know, say this year you see what you need to see from Zach Wilson. He gets a lot better. That roster starts to mesh with each other. Um, I think that next year is the year that the Jets can go for the division title. But with that said, you know, in terms of uh, playoff contention, all you need to do is make the wild card. And granted, this is a tough AFC, but, um, you know, if you can get second in the division and get a high, high enough record, uh, you know, there's a way to get in there. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this AFC East uh, comes out. And then, I mean, to the point of, uh, some of these storylines as we go down the list here is like depending on some of the way that things can follow because every season's different. The injury bug hits different teams, uh, different years. You know what I mean? You know, there's a possibility that the bills could uh, fall or at least not start uh, as quick as they need to. And then some of these teams could uh, get the jump on them early. So Going into our second storyline here, uh, the Bills bled talent in free agency and are relying on young players and key positions to keep them afloat. Uh, you look at wide receiver and cornerback, uh, especially. So you're talking about, uh, you know, the, co- the cornerback room behind Tredavious White and Taron Johnson, as we talked about, the rookie Kyle Elam, Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, another rookie, Nick McLeod. Uh, a lot of young talent that is unproven, and you're talking about those deep playoff runs that we expect this roster to make. That's where that's going to show up. Uh, you know, when you're talking about these superstar quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, I mean, literally go back to last year in the Chiefs and Bills game, the most famous one that got the uh, overtime rules changed and all that good stuff. You know, part of the reason why, what was it, 13 seconds that they, they, Patrick Mahomes scored in in the fourth quarter to bring it out to overtime? Part of the reason yeah. why that happened and then part of the reason why uh, Josh Allen didn't get an opportunity to touch the ball in overtime was because Patrick Mahomes abused the lack of depth in the uh, Bills cornerback room at the time. And obviously you talk about Tredavious uh, White being injured, so it's a little bit different. But still, the point remains that they don't have a lot of depth in that room and it shows up in when those moments are biggest. Um, and then you look at the wide receiver room, obviously you lose two guys there. Uh, and so you're relying on Gabriel Davis, who did show up last year and is looking to uh, bloom as a wide receiver. Add Jameson Crowder, as we talked about, a solid addition. But then behind them, uh, you're looking at Isaiah McKenzie. I guess he's a little bit of an older guy, but you have Shakir uh, 
Camille, a rookie, and then Jake Kumaro. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you have some guys there, again, at the top of the room, Stefan Diggs, but then you're relying on the young guy, in uh, Gabriel Davis, uh, and then Shakir Khalil to have some sort of role in this offense. Uh, obviously, that's helped out by having Josh Allen as your quarterback, though. But, yeah, I mean, you look across this roster and there's a couple of places that that's uh, kind of the case, especially when you look at uh, the offensive line, too. Um, but then, uh, so, because they kind of go all go into each other, I'll just rattle off uh, the rest of the storylines and then we can talk about all of them. So, number three, uh, lack of depth in some key spots. Injuries could hamper this team greatly. Uh, I alluded to it with the offensive line and then wide receiver and cornerback as well. If you lose those those uh, key players like Tredavious White or like Stephon Diggs, uh, you you are relying on those young players to really step up at that point. Um, and then you look at this offensive line: your starters, Deion Dawkins, Roger Saffold, Mitch Morris, Ryan Bates, and Spencer Brown. Uh, a couple young guys in there, but for the most part, veterans that are established and going to be solid, and you know what they are. And then behind them, you're looking at a lot of young guys. You're looking at Tommy Doyle, Luke Tenuta, rookie. You know, you're looking at uh, like Ike Bunker. You're looking at Greg Manks, who just came over from Miami. Cody Ford, Jacob Capra. You're looking at a lot of those young guys that potentially would be having to fill in uh, in those spots. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Um, and then the fourth point. James Cook looking to be expected or looks to be expected to take a heavy role as a rookie. How good can he, uh, he can be will determine just how good the Bills offense can be. Uh, lack of consistent running game has been their biggest weakness the last couple of years, which is something we both talked about with that running back room is that's really been the big missing piece for their offense. Um, so James Cook is hoping to be a uh, really important addition for that room. Uh, and then finally, number five, the edge room and defensive line have been almost completely reformed after their losses in free agency. Can they maintain their defensive identity and level of play? And yeah, I mean, we touched on that a little bit earlier as well with the roster. You know, that those rooms, when you look at them on paper, they are stacked, but you're also relying on a lot of players coming in from free agency uh, because you lost the established players you had. And especially when that's like the, the identity of your team, you know, that defensive line and the pass rush has been the identity of this Buffalo team, or at least the Buffalo defense, I guess. You, If you talk about the identity, I suppose it would be Josh Allen and the offense in that sense. But uh, the defensive identity, at the very least, uh, has been that strong defensive line. So uh, in the depth of it, too, especially over the last couple of years, it's just been a very fierce line to face uh, and one of the best in the league. And it still looks to be that on paper, but we're just going to have to see how that ends up shaking out. So, Enrique, what are your thoughts on the rest of these storylines here? Um, okay. Well, so I think, and that's why I love doing this podcast with you, is because, I mean, it's obviously something that I noticed, especially when we were talking about the defense, um, very top-heavy in certain positions. And I mentioned it yeah. with the wide receiver uh, room when I was – complimenting the Jets like I always try to do, um, just very top-heavy in some of these positions. And corner being one of them, exactly how you put it. Um, you know, Mahomes was able to abuse uh, the weakness of the Bills, that weakness being their lack of cornerback depth, um, because Tredavious White was out. 
That's their best corner. Very top heavy. Uh, very top heavy in regards to the cornerback room. Um, and we don't know necessarily know how Kair Elam is going to play. Um, we talked about we talked about this the other day when we were talking about Sauce, um, and when we talked about AJ Terrell and Patrick Sertan. There is corners that can come into the league and play great as a rookie, um, but it's not always that case. Yeah. Um, it, you know, corner is a position that takes a little bit longer. Um, Kyrie Elam was obviously picked it later on in the first round, but still a first round pick nonetheless. Um, and you know, just just because you got picked at twenty three and not four, um, doesn't necessarily mean you're a worse off corner by any means. It's just logically one would think that. Um, and so I have a lot of faith in regards to Kyrie Elam. I, he's one of my favorite corners coming out of the draft. One of my favorite Florida uh, cornerbacks altogether. Um, right up there with Joe Hayden. But ultimately, you do have to kind of wonder, you know, how much can you put on a rookie corner? Um, you also have to wonder, you know, if that offensive line takes a hit, you know, and I've already kind of critiqued their offensive line because I don't necessarily know any of them. Um, if that offensive line takes a hit, then where where are you at then? Um, and I think there's a few other position groups. I would hate to see James Conner or um, James Cook get hurt. Um, yeah. You know, that's going to – that would be a setback. Um, and I really do think it, that's kind of the Bills' problem the last few years in the playoffs is that they've had less depth than they need later on in the year. You know, they don't necessarily have the same guys um, playing at the same level or some guys are hurt or obviously as we get into the playoffs, that's when – um, you know, the whole year of injuries and being hurt and all this stuff accumulates on your body and it's make or break time in the biggest stage. Um, and sometimes the injury bug just hurts teams. And I think sometimes that hurts the bills. And um, I'm hoping that that's not the case this year. I'm hoping that the bills are able to make a run and I would love to see Josh Allen get a, get a ring. But ultimately I think a lot of it's on him um, just being that star franchise quarterback. And I think a lot of it is on um, just them literally getting lucky and hoping that no one – what happens if Stefan Diggs goes out? Who are you throwing the ball to? Who are you throwing the ball to that can make up what Stefan Diggs can do on the field? You don't have anybody like that. You don't have anybody like Tredavious White. You don't have um, – you don't have anyone that's really honestly in the same level um, and obviously those guys are exceptional, you know, franchise cornerstone players, but like Jamison Crowder, in my opinion, is better than Gabriel Davis, uh, just because I've seen more of Jamison Crowder and yeah. James Crowder is like not a number one or number two. He's like a very solid number three. So when Stefan Diggs, if, Pray that Stefan Diggs is completely fine and has a very healthy, productive season. But if something were to happen to him, I don't think necessarily that we've seen from Gabriel Davis or from James Crowder that they can match the production that Stefan Diggs can do or the the chemistry that Stefan has with Josh Allen. So yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, you know, this Buffalo Bills team really has to just cross their fingers that the injury bug doesn't come from this year. And um, otherwise, I I mean, the the talent is there. 
you know, the yeah. talent is there. Like the the starting twenty two is ridiculous. You know, it, it it really really is ridiculous. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, so yeah, I suppose with that we can go ahead and jump into the schedule. Uh, their twenty twenty one record was eleven and six. Uh, obviously, you know, you always want to improve, but wouldn't be mad at another 11 and six season, I would presume. Uh, so moving into the schedule here, we can rattle all these off real quick. Um, and then I, I gave some predictions and then Enrique, we can uh, take your predictions as well. So week one at Los Angeles Rams, the Thursday game, I have that as a loss. What do you think, Enrique? Uh, you said the Rams first week? Yep, on a Thursday game too, although it's the first week, so. Um, is it at Buffalo or LA? At LA. At LA. Yep. Fuck. Um. Yeah, I think that's an L. I think that's an L. It's a tough one to start out with. It's a very tough game, and I almost want to pick the Bills just because, like, they do have the potential to pull that upset. But um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick against the defending Super Bowl champs. I'm not going to pick against Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford right now. I'm just not going to do it. That's fair. Can't blame you on that one because I hold the same thing. So uh, week two versus the Tennessee Titans at home. I have that as a win. What do you think? Uh, yeah, that's a dub for sure. Okay. Week three at Miami Dolphins. I have that as a win as well. Yep. I have that as a dub. Cool. Week four at Baltimore Ravens. I have that as a win, which could go either way, but I have that as a win. I have that. I have that as a win as well. Unless Lamar's on his Superman shit, then then it's a dub, or then it's a dub for the Ravens because that 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 game really could go either way. Because Lamar sometimes is, I mean, he's electric all the time, but there's times where he really is on his fucking put the team on my back type shit and fucking wills out a victory. So. Um, can't count Lamar for sure, but I think I think the Bills can get that done. Right, and I, I will say, like, because I I thought about it as I was uh, putting the notes together and looking through the schedule here uh, for the Bills. You know, the Baltimore Ravens, and I'm sure we'll get into it obviously when we cover the Ravens later on, uh, whenever we get to the AFC North. But the Baltimore Ravens really need a receiving threat, dude. I mean, we're we have Rashad Bateman as our starter, and then behind him, it's like just nobody's essentially. You know what I mean? And I, not to dog on my, you know, one of the teams that I root for, but like, it's the more I look at it, it, the harder it gets to deny the fact that like that room is so thin that even though the Ravens' running game, you know, we're going to get those uh, injured players back uh, in the running backs there, and then Lamar. And that whole offense is geared towards running more than his passing. And you still have Mark Andrews there. Uh, but if Rashad Bateman doesn't come, you know, just bloom and be great immediately, uh, that receiving room is could be like one of the worst in the entire league. And so as I'm sitting here going through the Buffalo Bills schedule and predicting these games, and then I look at their roster, I'm just like, Stefan Diggs is better than uh, – Rashad Bateman. Jane, or Gabriel Davis is better than Rashad Bateman. Jameson Crowder is better than Rashad Bateman. 
frankly, Isaiah McKenzie has technically shown more as a receiver than Rashad Bateman has at this point in his career. Like, so you're looking at four wide receivers that are on paper, or at least in terms of what they've put up so far, better than the number one on the, the Ravens. Like, just on that alone, I'm like, dang. I don't know, but we'll get into that where we cover the Ravens. But I'm just like, we really need to add somebody because that is not a good room whatsoever. That's not a good look, my boy. It's not a good look at all. No. So week five versus Pittsburgh Steelers at home, I have that as a win. You said Pittsburgh? Yes, sir. At home. At at home for Buffalo, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a dub. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah. And then week six at Kansas City Chiefs, I have that as a loss, but that could go either way. Um, I I don't agree, actually. I think Josh Allen's going to come up and upset the uh, the Chiefs. I do think he could go either way, but I think he gets his revenge. Yeah, he's probably itching for it after that uh, playoff loss, I'm sure. Uh, and then week seven is their bye, so they get a break after that Kansas City game. And week eight versus the Green Bay Packers, I have that as a win, but that's going to be a big game. Uh, you know, that's at home for the Bills, so that really could go either way. Um, it's going to depend on the strength of the Packers. Yeah, I, I have that as a win as well. Um, I also agree. That's like, you know, you're getting towards halfway through the season. Um, depending on Green Bay hasn't sustained any injuries, they haven't sustained any big injuries. I think that'll be a good thing. That's a fucking game, dude. Dude, yeah. this uh, this Bill schedule is nice as fuck though. Like yeah. Lamar versus Josh Allen, I like it. Lamar versus Matthew Stafford, I love it. Uh, Lamar versus your favorite quarterback ever, Aaron Rodgers. Come on, <laughs> yeah. like. What are we doing? Oh, did I say Lamar? I meant um, I meant Josh Allen. My bad. Yeah, yeah. This it's it's an interesting schedule and going to be some marquee games in there for sure. Uh, and they're facing a lot of the, those big teams. So, uh, including Week Nine, you're at the New York Jets. Uh, I do have this as an L for the Bills. I think that's going to be a big one for them uh, because, like. You know, obviously, if you're looking to be the top of the division, you're looking to try and sweep one of these teams. I don't think the Jets are going to be one that you're going to be able to sweep. But for the Bills, that's a big game. And if you can take the home, uh, like when the New York Jets are at home, take that game, uh, you know, that would be huge for that. So we'll just have to see how that goes. What do you think, Enrique? Um, I mean, as much as I, I, I think it could be a trap game for sure. I don't have the Bills losing it. I, I, I think it could be a trap game um, for the Jets, which I love um, more than anything. I love to beat the Bills. And we play the Bills pretty tough as well. Um, and honestly, it's nice for us because it's week nine. So it's very much well into the season. We are going to be running you know, relatively at peak efficiency right there, smack dab in the middle of the, um, the regular season. So I would say that it could be a trap game. Um, I, I do think that the Jets have a tough schedule, um, especially the first couple of weeks. So getting the Bills 
even at home is going to be still kind of tough. But I think we'll play them tough, and I would love – I'll be rooting for a dub, but at least for right now, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Bills take this one. Yeah, I, I really do think it could go either way, but uh, that's going to be a big one for the Bills uh, if they're looking to contend there and, and take the division. So Week 10 versus the Minnesota Vikings at home, I have that as a win. Uh, you said the Minnesota Vikings? Yep, at home to the Bills. Um, yeah, that's a dub for sure. Unless Kirk Cousins just fucking balls out, but come on now. The, the Vikings are – I was thinking about this the other day because the Vikings are one of those weird teams where, like, they're not – for the last few years, especially with Kirk Cousins, they're not bad enough to be a bottom feeder, but they're not good enough to compete. And so they're just floating in this, like, middle space of mediocrity. You know what I mean? And they just will right. randomly – they'll randomly pull out, you know, one game that you didn't expect them to in the year but then they'll also lose a game that you didn't expect them to like last year they were the the team that lost to the detroit lions oh they no lost, way that's hilarious. yeah they lost they, they were the one that uh ruined the lions undefeated streak and so the vikings can equally do that but then every year it feels like they pull out one random game where they'll be the contender that nobody expected them to beat because they're the vikings you know what i mean Right, like, like they, why not? They take out fucking Kansas City for whatever reason, but then they lose to the fucking 0 and 15 Lions. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then Kirk Cousins in the locker room, like, you like that, you like that, <laughs> dude. They love that shit, like, <laughs> they love that shit so much. Justin uh, Jefferson's all doing the gritty. I know, right? You got that shit going across the league. Dude, I love Justin Jefferson, though. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I just wish he was in a Viking. But, yeah. So, uh, week, 11, <laughs> week 11 versus the Cleveland Browns at home. Uh, I think that that's a win, depending on the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, that could be a big game. I mean, if you're talking about whoever that is not Deshaun Watson starting that game, uh, it's probably going to be a win for the Bills, I would have to imagine. Uh, it's going to be competitive if it's, if it's Deshaun Watson, I think. Yeah, I mean, if it's Deshaun, I think it's – I mean, and we talked about this last time too. Like, Deshaun really does present a whole different world of problems than Baker does. Um, I, I I think even with Deshaun, it would be a tight tight game, but I still think that he would – or um, the Browns would still end up losing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, depending on who their quarterback is, if it's Deshaun – a bit more of a toss-up if it's baker i'm not going to say it is and nothing against baker i just do truly think that josh allen will put five touchdowns on that ass real quick boy so you have to like come come and be prepared and i don't necessarily know that baker's always like his most confident in a shootout like that unless we're talking about like some college ball type shit i just haven't seen that in the pros yet yeah yeah i would agree with that uh, and then so week 12 is they'll be at the Detroit Lions. And this is, okay, please correct me if I'm wrong because I felt like I was going insane while I was looking at it. Uh, the Bills have three Thursday games. 
has that been a thing that happens? Because the I bills, just the the three Thursday games, like because I thought oh. you you could only have one a year, but they have their first game versus the Rams is a Thursday game. Then week twelve you have at the Detroit Lions is a Thursday game, and then week thirteen that we didn't get to yet is they're at the New England Patriots, and that's another Thursday game. They have two Thursday games right after one another. Damn, they don't give a fuck, huh? Dude, like, I don't know if I'm, I legitimately felt like I was going insane because, like, I've never seen that in my entire life. And I even went to, like, four different websites to check the Bills schedule. And then I checked the Patriots schedule, too, like, just to make sure, like, it wasn't, like, listed wrong as another right. Thursday game. Like, maybe this has just been a thing and I just haven't been paying attention and I'm just stupid. But I legitimately felt like a crazy person looking at the schedule and I was like three Thursday games like that's a thing that can happen but that's the thing that could happen regardless no I mean I definitely agree I I think honestly it could happen as much as the NFL wants it to because obviously in those primetime spots you want to have the best team so I'm sure like I don't know I'm sure it's not common but I'm sure it happens all the time yeah, I just yeah, maybe I need to pay a little more attention. But, um, yeah, so the predictions for those games though, week twelve, they'll be at the Detroit Lions, uh, and that is a Thursday game. So you're coming off the Cleveland Browns, depending on what quarterback is there. Uh, four days later, you're going to have to face the Detroit Lions. I did put this down as a potential trap game. Uh, you're expecting the Lions to take a little bit of a step. Probably not going to be a playoff contender this year. Uh, but they did add to that roster and they're starting to build. Um, and so maybe the Detroit Lions can just randomly pull out uh, a win against the Bills coming off, uh, you know, a Sunday game against the Cleveland Browns and playing on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is the Lions are going to play extra hard, right? And right. I, I do think that they may don't necessarily have enough talent to beat them, but they have enough talent to play it hard. Um, it's another Thursday game, like you were saying. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it, could be, it could potentially be very trap-setting type of thing. Um, and then, like we said, too, this is getting later into the season, so is everyone healthy at this point? Is everything okay? Right. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting game for sure, but obviously I got them taking out the lions. And then we look at week 13, you are at the new England Patriots on a Thursday game as well. Uh, I have that as a potential loss. Uh, you know, I mean, we'll have to see how good the Patriots are again, just one of those games where it could kind of sneak up on you, but an interesting note, because week 12 is also a Thursday game. Usually when you talk about a Thursday game, right, the disadvantage to having a Thursday game is that you're coming off playing on the previous Sunday. So you only have four days to recover and prepare for the next team you're facing. But because it's two Thursday games in a row, you have that short week with the Detroit Lions. But then when you go from Thursday to the Detroit Lions, you have a full seven days uh, until you face the New England Patriots uh, on Thursday as well. 
So, you know, they have a full week to prepare, so it doesn't necessarily matter that it's a Thursday game. And the same is sort of true for week one as well. Um, although you'll be coming off of a preseason game, you're starting the season on a Thursday, so you're not necessarily on that tight schedule. Uh, so even though they have three Thursday games, it's kind of only one, but it's still weird, and I'm still concerned about it. But, <laughs> well, but what, well what you... and I'm still concerned about it. Um, the thing I'll say about it, too, is, like, obviously they did it so that way the Bills would be in prime time because Josh Allen's fucking prime time is fuck now. True. Um, but, I mean, they hooked him up in the sense of, like, they didn't, like, fuck him over because the normal Thursday disadvantages only apply to that one Thursday, which, theoretically, right. if this so-called Ryan fucking rule of you can only have one Thursday game is true and that the Bills broke it this year, then they still hold true to the fact that – but it's also, like, kind of cheating for them, too, because – they're going to get the primetime views, but not the primetime consequences. You know what I mean? Right. Like, make them pay, play three Thursday games, but they all get the consequence of the Thursday games. Or because the NFL is, like, doing it for their money, right? Because they're not doing it so the Bills get more money. They're doing it for the NFL to get more money. Um, so... Maybe that's why they're like, oh, no, we got to hook them up and, like, don't fuck them over super hard. Right. Make it, like, almost like it's only one Thursday game, even though it's technically three. Yeah, exactly. Like, the yeah. consequences of the Thursday game right. is only one. But it yeah. is three Thursday games. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's a weird situation. Uh, or, again, maybe it's not weird and I just have not been paying enough attention. And this is just a thing that always happens. So... You know, it's one of the two. But uh, week 14 versus the New York Jets again, this time at home for the Buffalo Bills. I do have this as a win. Um, what was uh, – what, what were we on, week 13, week 14? Week 14 versus the New York Jets at home for the Buffalo Bills. Damn, you're just going to pick against the Jets like that? Yeah, I'm sorry, bro. But it's at home. Like, I mean, maybe – Maybe. No, I mean, I feel you for sure. Um, no, I mean, it is what it is. Like, unfortunately, like, yeah, the Bills at home against the Jets is tough. Um, and plus, you chose the Jets to win the first time. I did not. So I will give you that. Um, I'll let you off the hook in regards to that. But, yeah, I mean, I obviously think that the Bills will probably beat the Jets. I'm hoping not. But because if they – if if your prediction rings true and they the Jets beat them right here, then it's fucking over with, son. Like, we would have swept the Bills and we would have been... That's a Super Bowl for me. Like, I'm good after that. We don't even have to win no more games. Right. We could be 2 and fucking 16 and I would still be cool with fucking us being the Bills twice. That would be legit. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I don't. I don't see us doing it. Unfortunately, it, definitely not at home. Yeah, it's it, it's a rough one. But you know, I mean, who knows if Zach Wilson and crew comes out fast, and we'll just have to see how the season goes. But week fifteen, you are versus the Miami Dolphins at home for the Bills. I have that as a win. Yep, I have that as a win as well. Um, 
you know, obviously, I think the Dolphins are going to play them tough, too, just like the Jets, and we talked about that as well. But, um, yeah, I got that as a dub for the Bills. Yeah, I tend to agree there. And then Week 16 is going to be at Chicago uh, to face the Bears. I do have that as win. Uh, you know, I mean, unless some magic happens over there in Chicago, that seems like it's going to be one of their more open and shut games. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Well, and if I'm being honest with you, the last four weeks of the season, you're going to get the Chicago Bears. Like, that's a fucking bye week, dog. Like, I don't <laughs> care what nobody says. Like, I'm not, and I love Justin Fields, dude. It's nothing against him. But, like, no Khalil Mack now. That's going to be rough. Um, Justin Fields, like, literally going to his second year. Um, and he showed flashes for sure, but he didn't really have much chance to uh, stay on the fucking field because he was getting beat the fuck up by a very, very bad offensive line. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I would, I'm would. i going to go ahead and say that the Bills are probably going to fuck them up. Yeah, unfortunately. I hate to say it, but week 17, you're going to be at Cincinnati to face the Bengals. Uh, I do have that as a loss. It could go either way, but that's a big one. I figure being at Cincinnati may put it over the edge there, um, especially with the Cincinnati Bengals expecting to be a contender as well. Um, you know, that's going to be contender versus contender as they're gearing up to get into the playoffs, you know, week 17, almost the end of the season. Uh, that's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to that game. Uh, but I do have the Bengals winning it. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree with that. And, um, I mean, if that's not a Sunday night football game, I'm not sure what the fuck it is because that's such a banger of a game. Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen. Um Stop Sunday night football with the way those guys play. Like, dude, the Bengals could put up five touchdowns. The uh, the Bills could put up five touchdowns. Um, there's so much firepower on both those uh, offensive offenses if everyone's healthy. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I do have to lean the Bengals because I think they have a much better offensive line. I think the Bills have a better defense, but. I think the Bengals have a much better offensive line, much better wide receiver core. Um, and so I think with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and lean towards the Bengals, especially being at home. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree there. Um, but that'll be a close one and interesting one for sure. Uh, and then week 18 to close it out, you're going to be versus the New England Patriots at home. I do have that as a win. Oh, yeah. Fuck the Patriots for sure. Fuck. So, yeah, that's going to close it out for their schedule there. Uh, and then on to the official predictions. So, uh, you know, for me, I think this can go anywhere from, I mean, if I'm going to give a prediction, like a number, I'm going to say like 13 and four, right? And I think that that's what I put down here. Um, and But I would say that it could range anywhere from like 12 and five to 14 and three even. Um, and you talk about those games like the Kansas City Chiefs, you're at Kansas City in week six, right? I have that as a loss. That could go either way. How about your uh, win total a little bit there? I have them losing at New York Jets uh, in week nine. Uh, you know, that's one of those games that they could turn around. I have them losing against the Patriots in week 13. Um, all of these games, that's a Thursday game, but that was one of the ones that doesn't actually, it's after the 
Lions Thursday games. You have a full week um, for that one. So, you know, some of these games, if you can turn around the Bengals game, like the the tough games on the Bills schedule because of their roster are winnable. And that's the thing. So, you know, they could really range anywhere on that top end, but um, I think they're going to be somewhere in there. And I say around 13 and four. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with you. I think 13 and four sounds very reasonable, you know, especially depending on what games, because I mean, unless they just decide to say fuck it and just be undefeated and do the whole thing, um, which I don't think they can do. Um, I really do think that, yeah, you, you go, you float between like three or four losses. If I'm being honest with you, you know, maybe they drop one to the jets. Maybe they even drop one to the, uh, the giants, the dolphins. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got the Super Bowl champs week one, you know, so that's already starting out really tough. You got the Bengals uh, right there at the end of the season, which is a, another big thing about that Bengals game is that's right before you're going to start talking about the postseason, you know, so where maybe with some of these other AFC, um, you know, powerhouses, you can, and you have to say the same thing about the Bengals because they obviously have to pay them week 17 as well, and they're a contender as well. But um, where certain teams are going to be able to kind of take the last two weeks off because depending on who your division rival is, that's who you're playing in the last week anyways. Um, you know, they have to play a really tough game against the Bengals that, you know, especially late in the season is going to be determining playoff position, uh, could be determining the number one seed or the number two, uh, the number two seed in the playoffs, um, which the number two seed doesn't matter as much in regards to um, uh, home field advantage, but you know, if it's playing for the number one seed, depending on how the Bengals are going to do, um, which, you know, we're expecting them to do pretty good. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I would say that it's going to be really, really tough um, for the Bills. But what I'm hoping is that, um, I don't know, I'm hoping that if the uh, win-losses don't follow our teams that we picked exactly, uh, I, I think they'll be pretty close. I don't think that they... 14-3 sounds crazy to me for whatever reason, but 13-4 and four sounds just right. So I'm going to go ahead and go with that. Yeah, I think it's got to be somewhere around that for sure. Um, and, yeah, like you said, there's lots of games. Like there are some games on here that they could drop too as well as games that they could end up taking uh, that we have them losing. So, um, But I think it's a pretty good bet that they're going to be somewhere in the playoff conversation uh, barring – you know, major disaster. So uh, we can move on to our final part of the, the schedule here, just the thoughts on it. Uh, my first one here, uh, we already talked about it, but I put three Thursday games with three question marks uh, just to accentuate that. Um, and, I, you know, I mean, you look at it like we talked about, and it ends up being closer to basically one Thursday game. Even though you are playing on Thursday, you're not facing the – um, you know, necessarily the negatives that you draw from normally facing Thursday games when it comes to having that short week and uh, not a get, getting time to uh, rest and prepare. So uh, I don't think it, it's probably going to end up being the craziest thing for them. But then the second thought I have here, relatively chill schedule, in my opinion, outside of the AFC North and division games. So you're talking about 
you know, obviously your division games uh, two a year versus the Dolphins versus the Jets and then versus the Patriots. Uh, those are never easy games, but then we talked about them uh, getting better. And then you're facing the AFC North. You have the Baltimore Ravens. You have the Cleveland Browns, uh, the Steelers, and then the Bengals. And, uh, you know, some tough games in there. Obviously, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers are probably going to be the easiest of those. Um, but, you know, outside of that, let's see, you're looking at the Tennessee Titans, right? Los Angeles Rams is a hard game. Tennessee Titans is like maybe hard, maybe meh, depending on how they come out. That's in week two, too. It's early. So, you know, they have their own uh, things that they're trying to figure out. And then uh, you have the Kansas City Chiefs from the AFC West there. So a relatively hard game there. Green Bay Packers, hard game. But then you have the Vikings, meh. You have the Detroit Lions, meh. You have the Chicago Bears, meh. Like a few games sprinkled in there that are really not that bad. Um, and we've seen going through these teams some more brutal schedules than this, for sure, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, remember when we broke down the Buccaneers? The Buccaneers yeah. schedule, like, if they didn't have the advantages over, like, the Falcons, the Panthers, and, like, low-key the Saints, the Buccaneers have a really – yeah, the Buccaneers have a really hard schedule. And you are right. Like, although the competition should be up from the division rivals, it should only be that with the Bills. The competition level should just be up. It shouldn't be – unless we're talking about the Jets. Right. It shouldn't be yeah. enough to beat them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um so, yeah, like you throw in a fucking Minnesota game, you throw in a Detroit Lions game for me, yeah, Buffalo's going to fuck that up. You know what I mean? But I, the Chicago Bears especially, but the, their big games are huge games. Like they really, really are. Yeah. Because, like, okay, let's say they lose to the Rams, they beat the Titans, in a world, they beat the Dolphins, but let's say they lose to the Ravens, they beat the Steelers, they lose to the Chiefs, by week, lose to the Packers. You know, like, there's just a, there's a different rule. There's a different world if they don't take care of some of these big teams as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Yeah, could not agree more with your breakdown of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's obviously not the easiest schedule in the world, but, uh, you know, looking over some of the ones that we have, uh, although they do have those big games, there's some easier things sprinkled in there, but those big games are going to be really big for them um, and really fun to watch, too, with the talent on this roster. So, uh, And then the third thought I have on the schedule, um, and you kind of ran through it, there, and we obviously talked about it when we started, uh, the week one matchup, you are at the Los Angeles Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions on a Thursday game to start it off, um, you know, and then you close out the end of the season. Uh, you know, obviously week 18, you're facing the Patriots, but just before that, you face the Bengals. So pretty much sandwiched right at the top and almost at the bottom uh, of your schedule there. You have really, really big games. Um, so that'll be a test for sure for this uh, this team. You know, you never want to have one of those games that, like, is going to be an uphill struggle as your week one because who wants to be 0-1 in week one? You know what I mean? Right, right exactly. Especially if you're a 
Super Bowl contender team. Like, yeah, it's already it's already downhill. Yeah, and then you're already trying to scrape your way back up, you know, that early. So, um, but yeah, I mean, before we move on here, Enrique, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Whether it's the schedule, whether it's the roster, anything with this Buffalo Bills team? Um, I mean, just. Honestly, I just really want to take the time to shout out fucking Josh Allen because that dude's a goddamn stud, bro. And it's been a, it really has been cool to see Josh Allen go from the kid in Wyoming, um, you know, because I was working up in Wyoming when Josh Allen was playing there. It was last year, right before he got drafted. Um, and so that was really cool. But then to see him, you know, like very slowly. Well, every single year he took strides to becoming the star quarterback that he is right now. Um, and, yeah, he was, you know, 13 seconds away from taking the Bills to the Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it would have been – or at least to the next stage of trying to get to the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, it, 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 what Josh Allen's done with the Buffalo Bills, especially being in my division, you know, I have to pay attention to it. Um, he really has become like the second, like, heir apparent to Tom Brady in regards to holding down the AFC East um, until the Jets get, uh, uh, like, and just until we get that experience. I think that's the only difference is that Josh Allen has the time on his side of going through the things that Zach Wilson has not. Um, but yeah, Josh Allen's just such a stud. I love talking about him, I love breaking down the Bills. And, um, yeah, I'm just – I hope they stay healthy, and I hope we can get some good football out of them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And then, I mean, not enough can be said uh, about – when you talk about the GM, Brandon Bean, and the head coach, and uh, Sean McDermott coming in in 2017. You know, a year later, they draft uh, – they draft Josh Allen, uh, and then they develop him. And I've said this many, many times. I know I've said this to you. And usually it's in reference to Lamar Jackson with the Denver Broncos because we look back at that 2018 draft, and although I love Bradley Chubb, right, you look at that draft, right. we had the number five pick, you know, we could have taken Josh Allen and we could have taken Lamar Jackson. We also could have taken Josh Rosen, luckily we didn't. But um, we didn't. when it comes to both of those guys, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, they were developmental guys that needed a lot of work before they were ready to, uh, you know, like be as good as they have been. Um, and they also needed a lot of dedication, especially in Lamar's case. You talk about John Harbaugh and that, uh, like Greg Roman and that whole Raven stuff. They formulated an entire offense around Lamar Jackson and his strengths. And not every team would have done that, including, in my opinion, the Denver Broncos. Um, you talk about at the time we had the, uh, Vance Joseph as our head coach. Um, he would not have, like, Vance, just think about that for, for five seconds. Vance Joseph as the head coach bringing in Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. That dude is not going to build an offensive game plan for Lamar Jackson. He's not going to give him time to develop. He's going to try and start him immediately. And same thing for Josh Allen. He's not going to give him the time that he needs, and he's not going to, like, develop him. They just didn't have the, the coaching staff. And so to a wider point is enough cannot be said 
in specific regard to the Bills and Josh Allen of uh, when you talk about Brandon Bean and uh, Sean McDermott providing an environment for Josh Allen where he could grow and develop and not have, you know, somebody breathing down his neck um, and not be like ill-equipped, you know what I mean? Because so many quarterbacks, I mean, you look at what happened with Drew Locke and granted that's a different head coach. You talk about Vic Fangio, but the Broncos failed Drew Locke uh, under Vic Fangio. They did not give him enough support coaching wise for him to develop. And had Drew Locke gone to a program with better coaching, it's possible he could have developed better. And I think the same thing would have happened had the Broncos chose to draft uh, Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson over Bradley Chubb. But um, yeah, I mean, not to make it about the Broncos, but it's it's the easiest way I can think of to make that point of how valuable it can be to have a stable environment around a young quarterback that needs development like that. Um, And I mean, the, the Buffalo Bills have been, the gold standard of that uh, over the, the last few years since 2017, in my opinion. Um, so I suppose with that, uh, we can go ahead and move on to our final segment covering the NBA Finals as it finished. And uh, the unfortunately, the Golden State Warriors take it in six games. Um, you know, the Celtics put up the best fight that they could. Uh, some of my notes here for the Celtics – Jason Tatum is the first player in NBA history to have 100 turnovers in the playoffs, uh, which speaks not only to the length of the playoff run for the Celtics, but also his level of play to overcome those turnovers and still win in the playoffs with the help of his supporting cast playing well around him, obviously. Uh, But you talk about those turnovers, and that was one of the biggest storylines for the Celtics team and one of the biggest reasons that they lost. Uh, between the turnovers and between the struggles defensively. Um, you know, averaging 16.8 turnovers a game. Uh, the Celtics also had, they averaged, or I'm sorry, they had three different players, right? The Celtics did, averaging over three turnovers a game on the series. And Jason Tatum in particular averaged 3.8 uh, turnovers a game. And when you look at the Warriors, I know, dude. You look at the Warriors, they're not hugely better on the team total. Uh, They have 13.8 turnovers per game, uh, but they do not have a single player that averaged over three turnovers a game, Um, and especially not because the three uh, players that averaged three turnovers a game for the Celtics was their three biggest players in Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. So that is not going to help you out whatsoever. Um, and then the Celtics shifted defensively to try and take away Steph, uh, but ended up getting beaten by Wiggins, Clay, and the other Warriors threats. It's just too much. Um, you talk about, I mean, Wiggins, Clay, obviously Pool too. Um, even Draymond at times. Draymond did step up his offensive game uh, in the last couple of games there, and just enough to, you know, make him not necessarily as much of a liability, um, which is what we talked about. Uh, and then, you know. For the Warriors as well, Andrew Wiggins was a large part of the Warriors' win, especially defensively. He did really great work on both Tatum and Brown, uh, Brown uh, and you know was able to pretty much lock them down at times. Uh, but I think you know overall the Warriors were just too much. They have that experience, um, and the Celtics were just not able to overcome defensively. Like you talk about Steph, dude, he is just insane in the series. 
Um, and I mean, this whole year and throughout his career, obviously, but especially in the series, he just took over and the Celtics did not have an answer. Um, there was that whole dialogue about the Celtics playing drop coverage in the first few games. And so obviously Steph is just bucketing a thousand threes because you have the, uh, like, you know, the Warriors work very commonly off of pick and roll and they didn't even really have to have Steph do a lot of off ball stuff in this series because the Celtics just couldn't figure it out with the pick and roll. Like you talk about Steph taking the pick, right. And he goes over. If you have the, um, big man dropping Steph will take it through. Okay. Simple as that. If you have the big man dropping and the guy covering Steph can cross the uh, pick and get in front of Steph to cover the three, Steph can then either pass to another teammate who's probably wide open. He can go back over the screen that, and just take another three because the big man's not going to come over. And then even if he does, he can still pass. And then like, if, uh, he has an open lane to like he takes the pick and roll and he has an open lane to drive and you get him in the paint with Robert Williams or Al Horford or whoever he can pass out like there's just so many options off of that pick and roll for stuff that that's basically what they did the entire uh, series and the Celtics just could not find an answer every time they shifted something they tried to bring in doubles on Steph and he would just immediately pass like the Warriors are just too well oiled a machine, uh, and anything the Celtics tried to do, uh, they just could not plug that hole. It was just a leaky boat the entire time. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, the Warriors end up taking it. Unfortunately, I'm crying my eyes out, but at least I can take joy in the Celtics losing. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely take joy in the Celtics losing, especially being a Lakers fan. Um, but fucking, I just can't believe that, like, here we are once again, um, with the Warriors winning another championship. Um, obviously, like, the Warriors really are just, just that. They really are too, too well-oiled of a machine. Like, every single time that any, like, in, I would say, in all of the series, that they played to get here and there was a game that the other team gave them that um i don't know i feel like everyone would be like oh that was the game right there right that's the game that's going to churn them around and you know maybe lead them up back against the warriors never happened never ever happened and so yeah i mean you can't really what else can you really say four rings now for steph curry is just crazy is that for that's four for clay as well right they've been together yeah. the whole time yeah okay yeah well that's crazy i that's... think uh but iguodala because he wasn't there for some of their rings right so he's probably like three or something yeah i think he's got three i don't think he, maybe he wasn't there for the first one so yeah, but I mean, congratulations to the Warriors. I mean, I'm not like super excited about it, but yeah, I guess congratulations to the Warriors. I guess. So that'll do it for the first part of today's show. Uh, for the rest of it, go ahead and tune in to the Mile High Fight Show, episode three, as we break down the Calvin Guitar versus Josh Emmett fight night from Saturday the 18th. 
Uh, with that, this has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. See you later.